Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Shot clock at one. Great defense by Boston. Galloping drive. Knocked away Embiid. What a block from behind. Harden gets back to Brown. Here's Tatum. Fires over Embiid. Got it! Finally, Tatum connects from deep. They get the switch. Maxi on Tatum now. Little quick sit dribble Tatum. That's two in a row. Jason Tatum, welcome to Philadelphia. Good morning, everyone. Have you given up hope? Do you still believe? Are you excited? Are you terrified? As Jimi Hendrix would ask, are you experienced, Glenn Mack, now? Oh, experienced. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> We've experienced this year in and year out for a lot of years. You got that right. Good morning, everyone. This is Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now with you with a gigantic, ginormous, humongous show for the next three hours. We have a ton to talk about. So, Glenn, let's kind of set the stage for the entire show, and then we can dive into what we probably all have at the top of our minds if you're thinking about Philadelphia sports these days. So, obviously, we're going to get into the Sixers and the Celtics in Game 7. At 11 o'clock, we have uh, your new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, a familiar name on this radio station, Mr. Keith Jones, joining us at 11 o'clock. Good get by you. I believe this is going to be his first public interview after getting the job. I could be wrong. I, You know, I shouldn't. I got back to town last night, so I, I may not know, but they announced it yesterday, and it's great that you were able to get him today. I really want to hear what our friend Keith Jones has to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, too. It's going to be an interesting conversation, uh, and we will get into kind of the dynamic of Jonesy in Philadelphia so many people know him, so many people like him, and now he's taking on this new challenge. It's going to change some dynamics for him in the city, I think. And we're going to dive into all of that and the future of the Flyers and how he and Danny Briere and John Tortorella plan to fix them and all that kind of stuff. So we've got that. We had the Eagles release their schedule. The NFL released the Eagles' schedule the other day. So we can bat around how they're going to go 0 16 and 1. I got news. I think they're going to go like 6 and 0. And then they got that part toward the back end of it, those six games in a row. Yeah, the back end of the schedule is, is wow. a bit rough. Mm-hmm. Is a bit rough. And, of course, we've got the Phillies, who won last night, beating the Rockies in Colorado 6-3. to three. They're now back to 500. Got a couple injuries here and there that we'll get into, but Bryce Harper seems to be uh, getting back into the swing of things. Um, 
so that's encouraging, and, and we'll dive into that as well. And, of course, we're going to have what we're watching, which will be a little bit different today uh, just because both Glenn, as he referenced, and I were out of town for a bit this week. Uh, so we're going to do kind of a different spin on what we're watching. But, Glenn, mm. we have to start with tomorrow at TD Garden, 3.30 p.m., Game 7 between the Sixers and the Celtics. And let me frame it to you this way. Let's consider the stakes for the Sixers in this Game 7 because they go beyond just whether they're going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat or not. If they win, they go to the Conference Finals for the third time in 40 years. First time since 2001, okay? There's a good chance once they get to the Conference Finals that they'll advance to the NBA Finals because as scary as Jimmy Butler and the Heat are, they're still the eighth seed, and the Sixers would in all likelihood be favored Mm -hmm. in that series. So there's reason to be hopeful and excited. And by the way, the West is not as tough as the East. Yeah. They actually would. They, if they win tomorrow, they do have a legitimate chance to have the first parade since 1983. Right, because you're going to get in the finals either the Denver Nuggets or the Los Angeles Lakers, right. either, of which, mm-hmm. either of which, if you want to look ahead, would be an exciting finals matchup. You would have Embiid against uh, Jokic. You would have Sixers-Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis and all that kind of stuff. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. If the, because if the Sixers lose, I would argue it is one of the biggest choke jobs in a sports history in this town replete with disappointment. Uh, you're talking about a team that had a 3-2 lead in a series coming back home and scored 13 points in the fourth quarter of Game 6 and allowed the Celtics to pull away. If they were to lose Game 7, I... I would think, and I think there's a pretty good chance of this, it would initiate a bit of a makeover of this franchise. you got to think about, do you bring James Harden back? Is Doc Rivers your coach going forward? What other possible changes are going to be made? Because it will have been, what, six years in a row that you couldn't get past the second round of the playoffs, despite all these expectations. Can I add one one more to that? Yeah, go ahead. If they lose... And I know we love Joel Embiid and think he's going to play his whole career here and so on. But the murmurs. Yeah. And that could be where Joel Embiid starts saying, you know, maybe I got to go somewhere else. And I'd love to play with Jimmy Butler again somewhere. And and I don't want to push that narrative too hard. But to your point, if 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 they lose, the whole thing implodes. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that because – the entire way that Daryl Morey built this team was to go all in. You don't go and acquire James Harden unless you're going to do that, especially at this stage of his life and in his career. And if Game 7 goes bad tomorrow in Boston, what do you do then? Do you really try to run it back? I don't think you do. I don't think you can. I think people around here would be fed up. I think uh, members of the organization itself would – kind of say we probably need a fresh start here. And the Embiid question that you raise, I think, is a really, really interesting one because he kind of toggles back and forth between being beloved around here and people wanting a little bit more from him. And Game 6, I thought, was another example of that. Yeah, and uh, so as I said, I was out of town. I didn't get to see Game 6. I got to see the highlights or the lowlights as they were, as you know, as it turned out. Um 
And I will say from what I saw and from what I read, I was really disturbed by two aspects of it. One is Embiid, and I heard the, the cut on WIP last night, complaining that he barely got the ball in the last mm-hmm. four minutes of the game. You're Joel Embiid. You're the guy. You're yeah. the you're the the, the alpha, the, the, earth, the, the sun, the moon, the alpha, yeah. the omega. You're everything. You you have to get the ball, and if you get, don't get the ball, you have to demand the ball. So I hated that little bit of excuse making and finger pointing by him. Mm-hmm. Hated it. Hated yeah. it. And I love Embiid, but I thought that was a real cop out. Hey, I barely got the ball. Don't blame me. That's how I inferred. That's how I heard that statement. Mm-hmm. And then the second one which was equally bad, if not worse, is James Harden saying, hey, you know what? I didn't get those foul calls, man. I should have got those foul calls in the first half, and they weren't giving me the foul calls. And to me, I hated hearing him blame the refs for essentially letting the players play, which is really what we want out of all sports, right? Too many whistles. Um, You're in the postseason. You don't play for whistles. You you, You go strong to the basket and you try to make it, it explains to me why he and some guys just get the label for not showing up in big games. Yeah. I was playing to get fouled, and I didn't get the calls. Yeah. Watching that game from beginning to end, I thought, and I don't think I was the only one who thought this, that Embiid drove to the basket as if getting foul calls were the ultimate goal of the game, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, as you said, getting to the rim, scoring on behalf of your team and trying to win the game. He played like he was trying to draw fouls as his number one priority, and it didn't lead to anything good. Uh, and, and that's what's been so weird about this series, Glenn, is that when the Sixers have been good, when James Harden in particular in particular, and Joel Embiid have been good, they've been really freaking good. I mean, Harden had that incredible game one and that incredible game four. And the team, top to bottom, played so well in Game 5 that you think, okay, like, of course they can win tomorrow. Of course they should have won Game 6. Yeah. And what were they, they were up with, what, four minutes and something to go. Yeah, they were up two with four minutes to go, I think. Right. And just th- their offense. And Jason Tatum couldn't miss a shot. Yeah, and their offense kind of went, not haywire, but there was a reason, you know, DeAnthony Melton was getting wide-open corner threes. Uh, because the Celtics wanted him to take wide-open corner threes. And, yeah, right. you know, you can say, well, he should have made them and, and no. you know, all of that. No. That's it's not Embiid. who you want. It's yeah. Embiid. That, Embiid should who... get the ball and make the shot and, and win the game or Harden. Now, I'll ask you a question. Harden has been alternately spectacular and miserable in this series. Mm-hmm. One extra day. I think it helps. Day of rest. I yeah. think it helps. I think it helps a lot. I think uh, – that, that's been kind of the drum I've beaten throughout the course of this playoff is that the more rest James Harden gets, the better James Harden's going to be. And with the exception of that game four where he had a day's rest and still played great, uh, I think the rest is nothing but a benefit to him. And so if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic tomorrow, that's one. Uh, you know, I just – I wonder the, – the thing that, that kind of – that puzzles me is you had two games in this series where the Sixers came into a home game with all the momentum and with the crowd in the Wells Fargo Center at an absolute fever pitch. It was for game three when Embiid got the MVP trophy. And it's for game six when if you win, you go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that building was humming. 
And they came out so slowly in both of those games, got way behind, had to come back, and couldn't sustain it at the end. And it just leads me to wonder, what is it about this group of players? Is it Embiid? Is it Embiid and Harden? Is there a lack of experience in certain guys? I don't know. I don't know. You know, it makes them so unpredictable. It's kind of I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to get back to your original question for a moment, which, uh, or your original point for a moment, which is, hey, if they win tomorrow, let's let's we'll start with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because what what you wrote to me when you wrote up the show notes for today is that this is an inflection point for this franchise. You yep. go forward. You go where you haven't been since 2001. You get to the Eastern Conference Finals with an absolutely great chance to win. And all is well in the Valley, right? Mm-hmm. There's peace and harmony and love, and it's going to be a great year. If they don't win, which, let's be honest, I think more people believe that than not. Yeah. If they don't win, it's going to be, we can't do it again. Uh, you ask, can you do it again? No, you can't do it again. And what it means is that we now will have gone 10 full years, 10 full years from from the moment, well, the pre-process, which is when they traded Iguodala mm-hmm. for uh, Andrew Bynum and that disaster, and Doug Collins is the coach, and then he quits at Christmas, and yeah. then it's like, what are we going to do? Hey, nobody ever, you know, honestly said we're going to lose forever. So, so it begets Sam Hinkie when and Brett Brown and the process and Embiid, who's the one who sticks, and all of those wasted picks with Okafor and Markel Fultz and and. And Ben Simmons, BS, Mm -hmm. and all of that, um, and all those washouts, which leads to the manifesto, which leads to the Colangelos, which leads to the... the, the, Burner accounts. Yeah, the burner account. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. And Elton Brand, and the injuries, and the choking, and the the triple doink Uh that goes in in Toronto, and Jimmy Butler, and all those things. I know my order's not entirely correct. And then with Moray and Doc Rivers, and Embiid, Harden, Maxey. And it could be like that's that's the book's over. Yep. And yep. the book is the ending of the book would be very unsatisfying. Yeah, that was always the God, quote. that was a long list of soap opera it's, elements. It's wasn't been it? a lot of stuff, man. And oh. and that that was always to me the core question of what Sam Hankey was trying to do and whether it would be worth it was the longer that they went basically trying not to win to try to accumulate resources and draft picks and clear the slate and all of that. The longer they did that, the better they had to be on the back end to justify it, right? How many championships do you have to win to justify basically three years of tanking? And I think a lot of people might say one. Some people who were really skeptical and didn't like the process would say, well, it's, it's got to be more than one. You've got to have a dynasty. That's what we expected, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anybody would argue if they lose game seven – you're throwing your hands up and say, what was all this Yeah, for? what was it all about? Right. What was it all about? Yeah. Um, you know, they're a better, more relevant franchise in certain respects than they were when they began this whole thing. But they're still a disappointment, ultimately. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to put the three names to you, and you tell me the odds that I, – and I hate to come in all negative. Again, I'm going to preface everything. If they win, then mm-hmm. guess what? Uh, we're, we're back next week. Right, and, exactly. You know, talking. This is, this is the wonderfulness of sports yeah, and sports I know, talk. Yeah. I know, I know. And people say, oh, you guys are taking a negative tone. Uh, I think we're all looking at this way. Yeah. When you, when you blow that lead in game six that you had the series won, you have to go back to Boston. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. If they lose, uh, chances between one and ten that Doc Rivers is back next year. 
50-50. Five. I, I do. I think it's a coin flip. I hate, I, I hate a five. All right. I'll, I'll say. I'll take a six or a four. I'll say it's a. there's a 65% chance he's back. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance he isn't, but he's got, what, two or three years left on his contract. Oh, I don't know. Uh, you, you think Harris is? I don't know. Worried. He just dropped several billion dollars on the Washington Commanders. <laughs> this, is, that's, this is cigar money for him. This is true. All right. Uh, if they lose uh, the scale of uh, zero to ten, with ten being metaphysical certitude, that James Harden is back next year. Ooh. If they lose, I say it's a three that he is back. Wow, I say two. Okay. And by the way, I say four for Doc, so okay. I, I, I see more turmoil than you. I do. Yeah. If they lose, chances that Joel Embiid is back next 9. year. 9.5. I'd say eight. Yeah. I don't do point fives, but I All say right. eight. Okay. I say nine. Okay. Nine. So, Let's get one call in before we head to the break here. Uh, Robert wants to talk about the Sixers ball movement. Robert in Germantown, you are on with Mike and Glenn. Morning, guys. Uh, Glenn, welcome back. Thank uh, you. Paris, wonderful. Loved it. But yeah, I would say, for, Glenn, for uh, people, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for people who don't know, uh, my wife and I went to France uh, this last week and a half for the first time in our lives. Got back last night. It was spectacular. I'll talk about it later, but thank you for welcoming me back. Appreciate it. Yeah, which is FYI, Belgian beer. Uh, Belgian beer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The French beer, and I'll give a review later. <laughs> Not so much. Not so good. <laughs> they know well, how to make wine. Okay. They do. They do make wine. Anyhow, I, I stayed up, you know, watching the game last night, Lakers, of course. And, you know, what struck me about the teams I'm seeing advancing are two things. Incredible ball movement. Golden State, the Lakers, great coaching, real intelligent, shredding the ball, a lot of people involved in scoring. And, you have Djokovic and uh, Djokovic and Anthony Davis sacrificing. For, you know they're playing in the post. They had like twenty rebounds last night, right? AD. Mm-hmm. You know, and we need two things to win. I've said this repeatedly, but I'm not seeing it. And I don't blame just Embiid and the rest of them. I mean, everyone's default, but really, there's no motion in our offense at all. It's just stagnant. It's standing. What did Tobias Harris said last game, guys? Two points. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, he hardly saw the ball. And the fact that Embiid doesn't see the ball, yeah, he should be demanding it. But you also have to run an offense where they're screening and movement and they're double-teaming him. You've got to have some flow to it. Well, well, we here, have, we here, have zero. Here's what I would say, Robert, and and, real, and thank you so much for the call. And uh, as we said, we'll get into Glenn's trip to Paris later in the show. Um, two things. Number one, a team with James Harden just is not going to move the ball. I mean, the Houston Rockets weren't known for their ball movement when Harden was winning MVP awards and scoring titles uh, because that's not the way he plays. Now, you can argue that he should play differently in the playoffs and all of that. Um, I'm not sure that necessarily plays to his strength. Uh, The second thing is teams don't really run plays in the NBA, Glenn. We've talked about this. They run kind of concepts. What you see from teams like the Miami Heat and the Golden State Warriors, who got eliminated last night with the Lakers and and the Nuggets, uh, that's as much a function of uh, concepts and more fluidity in the way that particular lineup is set up. And with James Harden and Joel Embiid, no. you're just not going to have not it. not going to be rapid ball movement. All no, time. there's not. Um, one more before the break. Uh, Greg wants to talk about the Flyers hiring Keith Jones. Go ahead, Greg. Let me tell you, I'm, looking in my, I'm sitting in my lodge. I'm watching the NHL playoffs. I'm listening to you guys. I'm reading your column, Mikey. 
looking at my first hockey stick that my father ever bought me back in like 1970, looking at my old goalie pads, and I watched that draft lottery, and I just felt like death. Wow. And then, and then yesterday, from the ashes, <laughs> a new era, a rebirth, like, like. I can't describe, and I watched that press conference. I was fortunate enough to be back from Florida, to be home here on Long Beach Island. I'm watching that press conference. I got tears in my eyes. And when Jonesy talked about Mr. Snyder. Uh-oh. And how Danny Briere, who I remember when he came here, and he chose to come here, and he chose to say, I'm telling you, I get emotional. I've been a Flyers fan for a long time. I even played an alumni game years ago and scored a goal for the Flyers alumni, believe it or not. And, Glenn, I went to a Flyers game with you a long time ago, me and my buddy on a charity thing. Yeah. Let me tell you, they hired the right people, and I'm just really looking forward to it. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are members of the Flyer Nation and I think really it's going to be something to look forward to. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. I've uh, been to Paris. I love times, it. By the way, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, we love it. Greg, Thank you, bud. Thank you so Thanks. much, Greg. Thanks for sharing your uh, your thoughts and your feelings. This uh, this hire by Keith Jones is uh, significant. Let's it, put it, it that way. It is definitely a change in the direction, and they hired they hired a guy who's about the most popular person in town. Mm. You and I both know him like him a lot, regard him as a friend, and so on. Uh, Certainly, we'll both expand our thoughts with it, and when we talk to Keith at 11, um, it's hard for me to assess because I like the guy so much. He certainly brings different experience to the job than most would have. There's some risk here in what the Flyers are doing, and we can get into that with Keith when he comes on at 11 o'clock. We actually have two Keith guests today. We're going to have Keith Jones at 11 o'clock, as we said, at noon, we're going to have Keith Pompey, my friend and colleague at the Inquirer, Sixers beat reporter extraordinaire. He's going to come on at noon to talk with us about Game 7. We, of course, are going to do what we're watching. And we will be taking your calls for the next three hours at 215-592-9494. He is Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski. This is WIP. Oh, those were the halcyon days of a week ago, Glenn Macnow, when this series was tied at two and James Harden was raining three-pointers down on the Boston Celtics, and now we are all full of anxiety and agita and all kinds of stuff heading into tomorrow's Game 7. It's been the most up-down series that I, I can ever think of. Both teams are 2-1 and one on the road, right? Yes, yes. With great home crowds. Yep. Yeah, it, there's no home court advantage, it seems, Uh in the series at all. And as we said in the last segment, the two games where the Wells Fargo Center was absolutely pulsating with positive energy for the Sixers, they got their doors blown off in the first four or five minutes of those games. They came out sleepwalking and ended up having to kind of chase and catch up and, and never really came all the way back. It's, it's going to be interesting tomorrow because, you know, here's what's interesting to me, Glenn, and I, I'm curious if you've picked up on the same thing. You know, Around here, we tend to focus our attention and our criticism solely on the local team. And, sure. and there's a perception that gets built locally about 
the Eagles or the Phillies or the Flyers or the Sixers. And, of course, I think the perception around here with respect to the Sixers is they're going to let you down. They haven't gotten past the second rounds. We're kind of waiting for the anvil to fall on our heads. But the interesting part to me is in Boston, they look at the Celtics exactly the same way. They look at the Celtics as a team that talks a good game and is really talented but isn't as good as it ought to be. And I wonder if that's an advantage in a weird way that the Sixers have tomorrow uh, in that if, if the Sixers take a lead, that TD Garden is not going to be hospitable to the home team. No. And, by the way, their fan base, and I don't have a lot. Listen, my wife's from Boston. My kid lives up there, blah, 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 blah. I got connections. so mm-hmm. But I, I despise most of their three-quarters of their teams. Um, their fan base isn't used to – losing and choking right their fan base is used to winning in success mm-hmm. so they also just went through one of the absolute worst collapses oh, in the history God. of sports which is the team that set the record for the best regular season in the nhl went out miserably in the first round if they have another one oh they'll be jumping in the charles river oh, oh. it's going to be uh it would be Regarded by some people around here, I'm sure, is delicious. You are one of those people, sure, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it would be With kind apologies of to my daughter-in-law. I totally understand. Hey, my, my wife is a Boston University alumnus and, or alumnae. Alumnus? Alumnae? We'll talk about that next Friday. Okay. Yeah, we will. We're going out to dinner next Friday. We'll get to meet her, finally. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, Bob from Williamstown wants to talk about John Tortorella and the Flyers, and we'll get to some more Sixer stuff in a minute. But, Bob, you are on with Mike and Glenn. Hi, hi guys. How are you? Glenn, I've listened to you for 5,000 years, and I love you. And, Mike, you're doing a fabulous job. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, Bob. Thank you. It's not easy to, to move in for Ray, and uh, you, you, you did it, and he's still a god. Well, the advantage, the, you, advantage you is, the advantage is, Bob, I never thought Ray was very good at this job, so it's really been easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm so, kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't, don't put that on Twitter and think I'm serious. Ahead, so Bob, just, let me, just let me say this. Uh, I've been a Flyer fan since day one, year one, which doesn't make me any better than any, any other fan or any worse. It just makes me old. <laughs> so so all I want to say is uh, I, I've been through the coaches, the, the Keith Allen, uh, who was like the father figure until he became a GM and then robbed everybody. If God mm-hmm. bless his heart. Uh, Freddie, who was neurotic, the Taskmasters and uh, Keenan and all those guys. I despise John Tortorella, and and I'm, I love Keith Jones. I mean, how could you not love Keith Jones? So this isn't part of this, do I think he's going to do good? Do I not think he's going to do good? Because how could you not love Keith Jones? And like you said, Glenn, but not like quite this far. I listen to Keith every day for years and watch them doing flyer games. So it's, it's even hard for me to be objective, even though I know you didn't say that. So I want to give him a chance, and I hope to God it works. Bob, let me but, let me. Can I drill down yeah. just on something quickly? Why do you despise John Tortorella? Well, here uh, this is what I was going to get to. It, from the time he was here, he believes. At least it seems like he believes. Again, I got to say it seems because who knows what goes on in someone's mind that he can school the fans and how we should feel. Now, I don't feel that that ex Flyers and Flyers alumni is, is is a bad thing, but for a guy that's been here for twenty minutes. To go up there yesterday and point the finger and say it's not a disease or it's not this or it's not that, you people shouldn't feel like that. You have no right to tell the people how you feel. You could say something and say it in a different manner. So, you know, I, I just got here. These guys are fabulous. 
let, let's give it a chance. But you can't point your finger at fans that have been suffering forever. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, and I don't disagree. I don't take it to the point where I hold it against Tortorella as much as you. But I thought John was out of line a couple times last year when he told the fans how to think and how to behave and, and what they should appreciate. Yeah, look, that's his personality for good and for bad, and I've seen both sides of it. Uh, I covered him a bit up in New York when he was with the Rangers, and the very qualities that got that team to the top of the Eastern Conference and almost got them to the Stanley Cup Finals that Tortorella has were the very same qualities that led within a year and a half of them making that deep playoff run to him being fired because he just couldn't censor himself in a way that allowed him to kind of uh, stay in that place for a long period of time. Now, the interesting thing about what the Flyers are doing is that they are making a commitment to him. They are putting him at the center of what they're all about. It's apparently him and Danny Briere are going to be making hockey decisions. Yeah. And we're going to get into this with Keith once he comes on at 11 o'clock. But it's rare for a head coach to have that kind of power in this league. And he's earned it. Yeah. I mean, he's been a successful coach over the years. And he is the head coach in an organization now where you have a rookie GM mm-hmm. and a rookie head of hockey operations. So he's the experienced voice there. Yeah. So he he, he's, he's earned that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Aaron in Norristown wants to talk about the Sixers. Hello, Aaron. Good morning, gentlemen. How you guys doing? Great, great. Good. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about the Sixers. Um, when I, like basically, uh, just Mike, you actually gave them a little bit more credit than they actually deserve. I mean, tomorrow is such a must win, and I, they have to win this game. You said, Michael, that they won three. They've been to not one. They've been to three conference championships in the past forty years. This I'd would like be the third, yeah. Mission. Yeah, but however, they've really been to one since nineteen eighty-five. It's even worse. They're basically the Dallas Cowboys of the NBA. And this team's trying to make an excuse. They're trying to make they're, they're trying to make an excuse. Well they are. It's a fact. I mean every oh like it's an excuse. Oh we had to trade Jimmy Butler. Oh we had to draft Okafer. Oh we had it's almost like there's a gun to their head every bad decision they make. There's no accountability from one general manager to the other. It's the most overrated, overhyped franchise in my lifetime in this city. They are the Dallas I mean getting the conference finals that's gonna be an accomplishment. Once in 38 years, I got to deal with Sean Bradley, Leo Routon, and now I have a coach who's 0 for 9 in games to get to the conference finals in his past nine games to, to, to get to clinch just to get there. I mean, just get over the hump. And you, just, you had a path last year when you when you went to the Hawks. They had the NBA is laid out right in front of them to actually win a title, and they and, and the, the the whole city's lit up. And they show up like that. It's an embarrassing franchise for 30 years, and it used to be an NBA league. I Aaron, mean, Aaron, Aaron, you are you are Thanks, uh, basically expressing the words that I, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. expect to be expressing tomorrow night around 6:30. Yeah, it's like I I don't want to do it too much. So I asked you percentages before. Yeah, on a scale of one to ten, mm. with ten being metaphysical certitude. What are the chances that the Sixers win tomorrow and advance to the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, three. Yeah, right on number. Three. Three. Yeah. Three out of ten. You know, it's interesting, though, Glenn. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. As you know, um, my, my mentor in, in the sports writing business was Bill Lyon from the Inquirer. He was mm-hmm. a columnist for years and years. And he, he t- tells this, told this great story. Um, back in 1982, the Sixers and Celtics played in the Conference Finals. And the year before, in 81... The Sixers had a three games to one lead and lost the series to the Celtics, who won 
went on to the NBA Finals and played a very mediocre Houston Rockets team and ended up winning the NBA championship. I remember, yeah. So if the Sixers had won that series, there was a very good chance they mm-hmm. would have been NBA champs. The following year, 1982, the Sixers and Celtics again meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, the Sixers take a three games to one lead. And again, the Celtics come back and tie the series. And Bill Lyon writes a column that appears in the Inquirer on the day of Game 7. And his lead is, someone asked me why I was heading, why I was bothering heading up to Boston for Game 7. And Bill's response was, for the same reason, I suppose, that one agrees to be a pallbearer. And that column ran on the front page of the Inquirer sports section. And the Sixers went out and won that day. Yeah. Killed the Celtics in Boston Garden. That was the dawn of the beat L.A. Yeah. chant yeah. in the final minutes where the, the game, the outcome is assured and the Celtics are going to lose and Boston fans start chanting beat L.A. to the Sixers. And after the game, Billy Cunningham is standing in the locker room. Half of him is happy that his team has won. Half of him is furious with the media that doubted him. And Bill Lyon walked up to him and extended his hand and said, the line of apology starts here, which tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, it's about, class. Yeah, it's a class move. Bill. Yeah, it really was. All um, right. But, and I tell that story. Be, not, be delighted to be in that position tomorrow night. That, that's just it. You never know. You never know. I don't think they're going to win. I don't. I would be surprised if they did. I don't think really deep down they have the intestinal fortitude to pull this off. But if they do... You know, we all gotta we all gotta line up and start apologizing. I've done hundreds of these shows over the years where we try to talk ourselves into believing our team is going to win, and sometimes it works. Um, not that we're the ones making the difference, although we like to think that our beliefs will, you right. know, we, we root them in. But I mean, hell, I've hosted over two hundred Eagles pregame shows over the years, some during very bad years, and in those shows, I'm never telling people that they're going to lose because mm-hmm. the Eagles are coming up. So I, I I would love to have that same view here right now. Mm-hmm. They can't lose. They have to win. It's their turn. <laughs> yeah. Everything's led up to this moment. Look at them. I don't know. The team has stepped up. Excuse me. The fans have stepped up. They have. I don't know that the team has. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating to me because the last time the Sixers got to the finals, you couldn't help but get swept up in that team and the nature of how it played and what it was doing in 2001. You know, that was a team that left everything on the floor every night, whether you're talking about Allen Iverson, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Dikembe Mutombo. There was never a question about whether that team was going to lay it all out there every single playoff game. And I think people wonder that about this team. It just seems like when the going gets tough – and and there are – new. The flip side of this, of course, is there There are analytics that will tell you no team was better in the clutch this year than the Sixers. No team was better in the second half of yeah. games. Uh, we, all we, that we, kind of we've stuff. lived through more than that. Yeah. It's, it's the history that we've lived through. It is. And, uh, and we will, again, be getting into more of that history throughout the show. We, of course, will take your calls at 215-592-9494. Coming up, we're going to bat around uh, the Eagles' schedule a little bit, look at the highs and the lows and the absolute uh, certified, certified wins and the games they're probably going to lose and all that stuff. We have Keith Jones coming up at 11 o'clock, Keith Pompey at noon, what we're watching, all kinds of good stuff. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski on WIP. Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He fumbled, and he fumbled the football, and the Eagles have it. It is recovered by Barnett. Brady fumbles, and Barnett has the ball. They found the turnover.
Now, look, there is a reason that we played that highlight from Super Bowl 52, and it's not just because people who listen to this radio station would, wouldn't mind hearing that highlight every day, once a day, or maybe you know, 10 to 25 times a day for the rest of their lives. I, I, <laughs> I had it as my ringtone for a while, that in the Philly special, yes. There you go. Um, the reason we're playing that highlight, of course, is because the Eagles schedule came out this past week, Glenn, uh, kind of in drips and drabs as the NFL does with these things. Amazing. To, to build up excitement yep. to find out <laughs> what, when your team is going to be playing its opponents and all of that stuff. Um, but the reason we're using that highlight is that the Eagles start their season officially on Sunday, September 10th at 425 Eastern time in Foxborough against those New England Patriots. Do you see another 41 to 33 Eagles victory? My friend, Glenn. Mack. Oh, gosh, we're not going to do week by week. are we? Ah! <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I think, listen, I, I, I like that start of the season. I think the Patriots are going to come in last in their division this year. I think Belichick's lost his magic. Um, they're only one game over 500 since Brady left. So yeah. uh, I have the Eagles as 1-0. Okay. And I think in general when we bat around the question of the schedule and uh, how the Eagles will fare this season, I think we can, we can safely say that the first half of this schedule is much, much easier, is likely to be much, much easier than the second half of this schedule. Uh, that second, those last six or seven weeks are going to be a bear. So, yeah, um, and again, I, people have heard it. Uh, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but I just want to give you this because you're right. It starts week nine when you have Dallas at home, which is going to be a tough game, mm-hmm. you know. But then you have the bye, and here you go from week 11. At Kansas City, home against Buffalo, home against the Niners. I can't wait for that. That's going to be fun. At Dallas. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some tough games. Um, and you got to keep going from there because then they're at Seattle. At Seattle, which is not easy. No. I mean, Geno, we used to be able to laugh at Geno right. Smith. Now he's the comeback and player it's, of it's the a, year. It's a tough road trip. It's a tough place to play. And you're at Dallas, at Seattle. I wonder if they're just going to stay out west somewhere. Yeah. would make sense. Um, yeah, so that's tough. Although the point that I always do when this comes up is the teams you think are going to be good are not mm-hmm. necessarily going to be good. If you remember last year, hey, the Rams won the Super Bowl the year before, right? And then last year, were they five and twelve? Mm-hmm. So this happens every year. Everybody thought, oh, Denver's going to be really good last year. They got Russell Wilson. Their head coach didn't make it out of his rookie season. Yep. So you don't know that. I mean, you can kind of guess it. Here's what I take out of the schedule: five night games. Mm-hmm. Seven four twenty five games. There's just three one o'clock games all year. Yeah, I mean personally, I like the one o'clock games. Me but, too. You know, that's my life. <laughs> well, you got it right after. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think we kind. I, I kind of like those, um, including, and I'll I'll pass this to you. Monday afternoon, Christmas Day. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And is, that, it, is that one for each family member? Yes. And it is not because the NFL is playing on Christmas Day. Because that has happened in the past when Christmas Day has fallen on a Sunday. And it's even happened once, I think, maybe 2017 or something like that, where they, they played on Christmas Day on a Monday. I just hate the idea of the NFL trying to commandeer a holiday like this. Christmas Day is a Monday. This is a 4.30 game in the middle of that day. 
you are basically, if you're the NFL, saying, yeah, families, kids, people who are getting together on Christmas Day, you know, we already, Thanksgiving's not enough, you know, and extending it to Black Friday that weekend is not enough. You need to pay attention to us on Christmas Day. And I think it's stretching the schedule to a point where it's just inappropriate. I, I, I can't think of another way of putting it other than to say it just feels wrong that the NFL is scheduling a, a game at 4.30 in the afternoon on Christmas afternoon. It strikes me as greedy. Yeah. I mean, the NFL, they own everything, okay? they Nothing is bigger than the NFL. I saw a thing last year, or actually the start of this year, and I, I think my number is correct, that 77 of the top 100 anything on TV last year in the United States was NFL games. Mm-hmm. Of all sports, pro and college and NBA championships and World Series, political, news shows, series, TV, specials, anything, mm-hmm. the NFL was 77 of the top 100 watch shows. So they can do it. And we're going to go Thursday night, and we're going to be on Amazon where you can't find it. Or oh, I can find it. The problem is once you find it you have to stick with it. right i can't flip right i want to flip exactly okay and we'll make you go to amazon and we'll make you you know do go to this and that and when college isn't playing guess what we're going to take over saturday and now they're they're going to do friday games and i'm telling you eventually i really do believe they will be every all seven nights of the week and i don't like it it's it's i love the nfl as much as everybody but it's too much it's the, too much next year is going to be interesting glenn because, and I had this discussion with our partner, Jody McDonald, earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Christmas is on a Wednesday next year. I would not put it past the NFL to test drive a Wednesday game on Christmas Day in 2024. Sure. Put it in London, too. Yeah, or, or Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> Why not? Right? Uh, Nick in Collegeville wants to talk, thinks the Sixers are going to shock the world uh, tomorrow in Boston. Nick, why are you so optimistic about the Sixers, my yeah, friend? Because I've been so pessimist, pessimistic on them, and they've proven to address all our fears. Like, they meet them always. Um, but it actually goes back to the first, your first two call. Your first caller called up and was very emotional. I think it was the first caller. So emotional about the Flyers because mm-hmm. they just hired, hey, Jonesy, who we all love. But, like, it looks like they're making a change. And then yet another caller just berate the Sixers because they always let us down and, and what they went through. And it's, I'm right in the middle. I'm like, both of these teams have sunk worse than manure I'm throwing around in my vegetable garden this morning. <laughs> and and I'm not losing any crocodile tears over the Flyers or the Sixers until they prove to me we should pay even more attention to them. I watch the Sixers game. I watch the Flyers. I forget what, what month I stopped watching the Flyers. Probably when they kind of. It was January I, for me. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And and even when I when I was in, I wasn't full three periods in. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, 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 would, I would check yeah. in. But the Sixers, the Sixers have not done anything to. You can be angry at them and disappointed, but they haven't done anything to to deserve you turning away. No, no, and then I and then that was my whole point. I feel like the one guy was very harsh on the Sixers, where he's like, they haven't done anything. I'm like, well, look, it might be a crazy idea and the way they wanted to do this, but they had a plan. It might still collapse and we might not even get to an eastern my thing was eastern conference final you have to be able to compete for a championship for this to even race and i mean like at least for three years like you have to be like the flyers were under i mean the eagles were under Andy reed where every year they were at the nfc championship game and they were two plays away from the super bowl like that's like you can tank but 
and you, you, I know you can't guarantee the championship. Nobody should assume you're going to get a championship because they do something to grab somebody. But you have to compete once you make this kind of bizarre, you know, strategy. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I yeah, think I so. think you're right, Nick. Thank and thank you for the call. That that has kind of always been my contention with respect to the process, Glenn. Is that it was easy to not be invested in the Sixers before the process because the thought of them making a deep playoff run and actually competing for a championship was so far-fetched, mm. right? They were finishing like 41-41 and 41 or 42-40, and 40, and yeah, in 2012, they got to the second round and took the Celtics to seven games, but that was an anomaly. There was never reason to invest hope in them, and once Embiid got here and the team got pretty good and was winning 50 games every year, Okay, now there are expectations, and that has caused the flip side of the coin to kind of show itself, which is there are expectations, and they're failing to meet them, and it is disappointing. And in some ways around here, that's worse than not having any expectations at all. All right, so as we stand here on May the 13th, 2023, was the process worth it? I think it was. I think it made them relevant again. I think and there was no other way to do that. You had to throw away four years. You had to just be bad forever. You had to deliberately lose games, field a non-team, charge fans to go to that thing, do what to me was always an immoral thing to mm-hmm. do, but you know, I don't want to argue over that. Do and all of that, mm. and there was no other way to do that because no other team has managed to build a winner without doing that. No, I'm not suggesting there was no other way to do it. I'm just evaluating what was actually done. And the end result has been a team that, while very disappointing, has been relevant in a way the Sixers haven't been in a really long time. And there is something to be said for that. Is it perfect? Is it, is it ideal? Of course not. I'm not suggesting otherwise. Uh, but the screw-ups that they made along the way aren't necessarily tied to the, pro- the, the idea of the process itself. Like, you got the number one pick in the draft. The fact that you drafted Ben Simmons instead of Brandon Ingram isn't a function of the process. Yeah, but wasn't he the consensus pick? He was. No, he absolutely was. Um, the fact that you drafted Markel Fultz. Yeah, that was not. <laughs> that was not the consensus pick. Oh, no, um, no. The fact that you drafted Jaleel Okafor and, and Michael Carter-Williams and Nerlens Noel, uh, I think that's where Sam Henke and this, and this team in subsequent years made its mistakes. But I don't think that clearing the decks and starting fresh is ne- was necessarily a bad idea. So anyway, uh, we'll get one. We have, well, we have time for a couple, uh, call or two here. Uh, Tom on wants to weigh in from uh, on the Eagles schedule. Tom from Ben Salem, go ahead, Tom. John, how you doing, guys? Hey, good. Uh, I'm like an NFL schedule freak, so I always check out the Eagles first. Then I go to Dallas to see what advantages they get around that Thanksgiving game. And uh, I seen this year that the Niners, before they visit the Link, will have ten days to prepare for the Eagles. And Dallas will have 10 days to prepare for the Eagles when we play them down there. So the schedule, NFL, they don't like us neither. So, Well, who do the Eagles get after their bye? Uh, Kansas City. Well, okay. So that, yeah. that okay. plays out well for the Eagles. Well, and who do the Eagles get after the Thursday night? Uh, I'm not really sure. All right. I mean, it, no, it, it, it breaks saying, even. Yeah. It, it all yeah, kind of evens out. I know it out. does, but it, it just seems to me like, you know, ah. By the way, know. I'm circling the San Francisco game as much Thank as you, any game on the schedule because the amount of whining oh God, and moaning they did and are still doing, it's, it's Shanahan's bad. still going with that. Yeah. It's, I, I, I just want to beat that team silly. Yeah, and they weren't going to win that game. 
They no. just weren't. Even no. if Brock Purdy had not gotten injured, even if Hassan Reddick had not all but ripped his arm off, uh, it wasn't happening for the 49ers. Um, if you're on the line, hang in there. We will get to you once we get back. Keith Jones, the new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, will join us. We will, of course, be taking your calls still at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski on WIP. Hey, are you tired of dealing with those old, inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door you painted over? More times than you can count. Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements for the new storm door, go Guida. And if you're thinking about that sliding patio door or the garage door that you've been meaning to replace, go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well done, Dan Wilson, our producer. We can always use more Counting Crows on this show. I, I'm, a, I'm in favor of that. Uh, that monologue you heard was from 2021, and it was delivered by our next guest, the new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, Keith Jones. Jonesy, thank you for joining us. It's good to be with you. How are you? Got to turn them on. Oh, I should turn them on. Rookie mistake. Let's try this again, Jonesy. Go ahead. I'm doing great, Mike. I'm, I'm you're doing, doing great. You're doing better than I am handling this this board here. Um, I, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to start with the obvious question, a obvious an obvious question. You are beloved around here, uh, both for your work on WIP, on NBC Sports Philadelphia, for being a generally funny guy. Um, been here 23 years. Why did you decide to take this job? It's a, it's a very good question. I, I decided to take this job because the fans of Philadelphia are the only reason that I'm still in Philadelphia. The way that they accepted me, and not just Flyer fans, but fans of all our professional sports, and much of that through the radio and working at WIP with Angelo have made this my home and have, you know, rewarded me with great things in my life because of their, you know, affection for me and the way that they've made me feel and being a part of the fabric of this community. So I feel like this is a great opportunity to, number one, get a, you know, the job of a lifetime and for me, and number two, give back to the people that have been so great and, uh, and helping me achieve what I've been able to achieve so far in my life. So we love you. I mean, you know, you're our pal. You're, we think you're great. But, but here's what skeptics are going to say. Um, he's a smart guy. He knows hockey, obviously. Uh, he knows people around the league. He works well with people. As you said, you work with Angelo. You can work with anybody. 
Mm-hmm. But he's never held an administrative or an executive job. Now he is in charge, and this is, I'm quoting from the newser yesterday, of leading the strategic direction of the hockey operations side as well as collaborating on the business side. So I guess my question, Keith, is what you're the boss now. What has prepared you for that? I think it's just a matter of being able to create relationships with anyone that I've ever dealt with, whether it's you know somebody that I'm meeting just in my everyday life away from my jobs or it's the people that I've worked with when I've been performing my jobs. I mean, it's really as, as basic as that. You're, you're just trying to build a culture that is better than what it is right now or has been. And then you're going to use the people that are around you. I mean, there's a reason there was five people up on that stage yesterday. I have a lot to learn as far as the business side of things. And I'll, I'll use Valerie Camillo uh, in every way that I possibly can to, you know, gain knowledge from all the great things that she's done in her career. I've got Dan Hilferty looking over me. I think uh, this city is well aware of all his business accomplishments. And I've got two great hockey men that are going to work with me. Um, I have a lot that I can add to the hockey department. Um, there's no question about that. I, I look forward to showing that. Um, it's not something that I'm necessarily comfortable about talking because it's about me. Um, I'm more of a show-me person, and I, I, I can assure you that uh, those things will come to the forefront and that this is going to work out, not just for me on a personal level. This is not my team. This is a group effort, and I'm going to make sure that it stays that way. And in doing that, I'm going to make sure that our community benefits because we're going to have a better hockey team to support and watch play meaningful games in the near future, not the like next day future, but uh, in the close enough future that hockey, good hockey is around the corner for us. We're talking to Keith Jones, the new president of hockey operations for the Flyers. So Jonesy, my next question then is what is that going to look like if Danny has final say on personnel and John Tortorella is going to be involved and and kind of weighing in based on what he sees from the bench on a day-to-day basis. What is your role? What are you going to be doing when you sit down with those guys? Yeah, number one, I'm going to be listening to what they're saying and then providing my information back, my knowledge back to them. And in conversation, hard conversations when necessary, we're going to work it out, and we we all have the same goal in mind, and that's to return the, the Philadelphia Flyers to being perennial Stanley Cup champions. Um, so I'm going to use the knowledge that I've gained from being around the game and my ability to connect people and connect with people to make this thing work, and that is my number one goal. Um, I I foresee no issues in doing that with two people that I think are perfectly placed in their jobs. I think John Tortorella is one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. I'm thrilled that he's already in place. I know that Danny Briere is going to do an outstanding job as a general manager. I think he's got a great mind. I think he understands this city. And I think he's got a little pit bull underneath him inside that he's going to dig in and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people that may be doubting him at this point. But I, I can guarantee you one thing, guys. Doubters don't, don't bother me. 
I mean, I like the doubter. I, I appreciate that. Set the bar as low as you want it to be, and then we're going to move this thing as high as we can get it. And our goals are very high. Keith, in the, in the cut we played coming in, which is a year old, you talked about this as a team in need of a major makeover and so on, and it didn't get any better this year. Uh, earlier in this conversation, you said something along the lines of it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I know definitions can be tricky, uh, but fans in this town have been clearly, um, on the one hand, patient, and on the other hand, kind of, I think, ready for a rebuild. To the best way you can put it in words, how do you define kind of where the franchise is now and, and w- how far away it is from being a valid contender? Yeah, so the one thing, Glenn, that I would uh, somewhat disagree on and, is that this year was the same as the year prior. It was not. Uh, the year prior, the, the club would get down 3 nothing, and that game would end up 7-1. Uh, last year, for the most part, the team may get down two or three to nothing, but would come back and tie it and then end up losing four to three. Obviously not there yet, but the foundation was laid by John Tortorella and the players, for the most part, bought in. There's a lot of positives that already have been started. The timing is much better. This was a much easier decision for me based upon what I saw this season on the ice. There's some really good hockey players that are going to continue to get better on this club immediately. Uh, That being said, there's a lot that needs to be done as far as addressing high-end talent. And the best way to do that is through the draft. Uh, Cutter Goche was a very good pickup last year by this team. He's already doing some really good things over at the World Championships right now. We have a very high pick this year in an outstanding draft. And our drafting is going to be key. There's, there's no doubt that that is going to be a major part of it. But adding the pieces at the appropriate time is also going to be a part of it through free agency. And we're a ways away from that. We need cap space to do that. And when we get it, we want players around the league to recognize through the players that are playing here now that this is a great place to play. We want them to want to be here like it was when I arrived here 25 years ago. And that's going to take some work as well. So that's why the timeline is a little bit blurred. The players will decide how quickly we move along based upon how quickly they develop into different roles on the team. But the overall story will be told in the next few years on where this team is going to ultimately get to, and I think it's going to get to a very high level. Jonesy, one of the things that makes the approach you guys are taking different from what most NHL teams do is the power you are infusing to John Tortorella uh, in his position as head coach. You know as well as anybody that there's a heck of a lot of turnover at the head coaching spots uh, around this league, and you guys have basically said, you know, Torts is going to be – a major part and have major input in who we are and what we do moving forward. To put it as bluntly as I can, what happens if that goes bad? Because John Tortorella, while he's had lengthy tenures with certain franchises, has also kind of, you know, been like a shooting star in others where he burns really hot and then burns out. So what happens if it doesn't go perfectly here? 
Yeah, I, I don't. I do not foresee that happening based upon the relationship I have with John already. I've had it for many years. Um, I understand him, and I think he has a pretty good understanding of the way that I see the game. I I see the game in a very similar way to the way he coaches the game. I believe accountability is such a critical part of what we need to build here. And I thought last season, his first season here, he established so much of that. I, If I was hand-picking a head coach, and Mike, you know that Craig Berube is my best friend, John Tortorella would be the coach of this hockey team. I've always admired the way he coached from afar, and he's in the perfect place to continue to do it. Not just the perfect city, he's at the perfect place in his life to do it. Because this will be John's, you know, at his age, his last place. And he's going to be here when this team turns around. I have no doubt about that. Keith, you played for this team when, when it was contending for Cups, and you talked about coming here, and you know what the brand always meant. I heard you yesterday mention Ed Snyder's Flyers. They stood for something uh, around the league, certainly to the fan base here. You've stayed in town. Uh, you've watched this franchise as an analyst for a lot of years now. What have the Flyers lost as an organization, and how do you get that back? That's a great question. The, the brand is very important. Mr. Snyder's legacy is very important to all of us, especially the ones that knew him and hold him dear to our hearts. Uh, the brand was about competing. The brand was about doing everything we possibly could to be one of the elite teams in the league. We have not been over the last number of seasons. That part we have to fix. It's not so much about a style of play it's about playing amongst the best teams in the National Hockey League and finding a way to stay up with the times and make sure that we stay involved in advancing this organization. That's what it's gotten away from. It's not about beating, the, you know, beating up every opponent you go up against, but it is about winning every puck battle that you possibly can, and we got away from that. So we're looking for players that have it, and I'm talking about highly skilled players, but also players with heart. And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for guys to throw their gloves in the air and start fighting in a, in a hockey world that doesn't exist anymore. But we want tough and difficult people to play against. And you can be sure that that's something that will be a primary focus of us. So how do you find those guys, Jonesy? Is there something in your experience around the league? Is there something that Danny has? And look, I've interacted with Danny. I like him personally. He's never been a general manager before. Is, is there something that you guys share that can pinpoint players like that? Yeah, I, there's, there is an eye to that, Mike. There is an eye test that might not show up analytically but you use all the resources that are available to you. Analytics are a very important part of the game today. Uh, if you use them properly, uh, you need great people in those departments. The great thing about our team is we have all the resources to find the best people in the world in any role that we foresee we need them to be in. We want to be an innovative team. We want to be ahead of the game, not following it. Uh, those are things that we're going to really delve into. And those are, I think, things that are going to give us an advantage. We do have an advantage. We have an ownership that tells us to do what we have to do 
to get us to a point where we are competing for a Stanley Cup. That message is clear. Uh, We're going to use every tool that we have. But the most important thing is trusting your instincts, what you've done in your own career and what you've seen since your career ended. Uh, We can see it. There's something there. There is a secret sauce. I can promise you that. Uh, We know where some of those players are. Sometimes you have to be drafted in the right spot to get them. And sometimes you need to find somebody that's in the seventh round, like myself, or Danny Briere, who fought through being put on waivers at one point in his career and turned into an outstanding player. There's a, there's a skill to that, and we're going to use those skills to get this team headed in the right direction. Jonesy, I don't know if this came up during the, the news conference yesterday, but I'm curious how this came about. Um, I know they, they hired a search team. Billy King was part of it, and they were looking at candidates. I've known you for a long time. I mean, I don't, I don't know you that well. I don't know what your career aspirations were, but how did, it, how did this happen? I was asked if I would be interested in, in, in even considering the job. And I'd like to tell you it took me a long time to think about it, but it didn't. My answer was yes. And then it was a lot of thoughtful consideration about what I was getting myself into. Um, I have a great job. I've, I've had a great job mm-hmm. uh, doing television. It's one of the most and you know, fulfilling jobs that you could want and enjoyable jobs that you could want after you retire. But you don't win and you don't lose. You go home and you, you're, you feel good. It's good. You don't have the pain of losing. And I want to feel it, and then I want to win and feel even better. Uh, that's why I decided to go through the long process of getting the job. And believe me, it was long and it was a lot of interviews and it was a lot of, you know, digging deep into finding out exactly if I was the person for the job. Um, I'm very pleased that I am. I have no regrets that I did it and I can't wait to really delve in and get started and helping this franchise get back on track where our fans can be proud of us and our fans can enjoy and our excitement when we start winning meaningful games. Jonesy, does it bother you, uh, and this is the last one for me, does the perception that some people in town are going to have about you bother you, which is to say this is the guy mm-hmm. who made fart jokes on the morning show, <laughs> and now he's yeah. running the Flyers? Yeah, no, it does not, Mike. Uh, as for those that know me closely, what's most important to me is that my friends know who I am. And my fans are going to continue to know who I am. I'm not Keith. When you see me, I'm Jonesy, and that will never change. You're not Mr. Jones? Not Mr. Jones. And I don't care if you're working with me, which everyone who is involved in the Flyers organization is. uh, You can approach me at any time, and you can find out about me, and I'm going to find out about you. I really don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. And that's going to be the way this team is going to move forward. Well, listen, I mean, to, to wrap it, uh, and we appreciate this interview. We, we, we do. Um, and I'm guessing, and I agree with Mike, please don't lose your sense of humor because you are oh, it'll ne- it'll never happen, genuinely one of the funniest people yeah. that we know. Um, I, I assume part of this is you are going to be very public out there, face of the franchise kind of guy. 
Yes. And more so than I have been in the past because I've been busy. I've been leaving to go to the next job, and I haven't had enough time to really stop in and find out about any individual fan that we have that's interested in our team. Um, I always do when I'm in public, but I'm going to be around more, and I'm going to be around at the games. I'll be in different places. I'm going to definitely make sure that I do my part to spread the word on where we're headed, uh, share how we're going to get there, not give you all the, you know, the reasons and ways that we're going to do it. But I am going to be very open and forthcoming and bring our fans along for this journey. I think we're all in for an enjoyable experience. And I don't mind negativity. I get it. I worked at WIP. I know what <laughs> you worked I, with the king of it, for God's sakes. For I, how many? I know, that was that fifteen years you were with Ange. Yeah, I was with them for twenty-one years. Twenty-one and the, years. And the God. last five, the last five, I, I, I could have left, but I stayed. I continued right to the end. Yeah. Uh, out of respect for him, and I think anyone who works there should always continue to be reminded of all the great things that he accomplished there. So, he was one of the first people I told, and guess what? He kept his mouth shut. When does that wow. happen? <laughs> well, well, Jonesy, I don't know if you heard the, the beginning of the show, but we've already had a caller, a longtime Flyers fan, who during his call with us was moved to tears over your hiring. Uh, so no in, pressure. In, in a positive way, In a positive way, way right. yes. That this was going yeah, to turn the front. Was good. <laughs> it's not the first person I've made crying <laughs> since you know, but no. I can tell you that. No, he was uh, so emotionally uh, – he, he loves – he called, he said he lo- he's loved the Flyers. He went through his history as a fan and his disappointment and said that you have brought hope, and he literally began crying. Yep, no, there's a lot of responsibility with this job. There's no doubt about that. But there was responsibility with the jobs that you guys do. Uh, you know, we want to give everything we have to the people that are listening, that are, uh, you know, watching us play. Uh, I don't think that ever changes. You have to continue to drive and push and try to be the best that you can be. But you're doing it for, in our industry, for the fans. And it's important to their lives to get away from the everyday things that are troubling them, to make sure that we are a, a release for them. Uh, not an irritation, and we want to get our team to that point where people can enjoy Flyers hockey and watch this team grow as as we go along and they come along with us. All right, well, Keith, uh, on the one hand, I wish you the best. On the other hand, I'm going to be holding you to everything you just said, Uh, so be prepared for some tough questions down the road. I know you well, Mike. I know you well. Hey. And I appreciate you guys, and I, th- I thank you for having me on. Thank you, Keith. Thanks a ton. Thanks so much. Yeah, have a great show, guys. Thank, thank you. you. What do you think? I liked every single thing you said. Uh, and I, you know, I started this show saying I'm inclined to really like Keith Jones. I have questions about the guy who's never had an executive position doing it, but I also think he's an extremely smart person who knows how to get along with people. He didn't try to uh, whitewash or cover up where this organization has fallen and talked about how he wants to, what he wants to bring it back to be. Uh, And there are no shortcuts. He's not going to try to sell, hey, we're going to be good in, you know, around the corner. Um, He clearly will be approachable. The question I'll ask you is the hierarchy that they are building can that work? I think it can. I think it's short-sighted and a little too easy to say, oh, they're just bringing back X-Flyers and Keith Jones and Danny Breer. Oh, yeah, no. 
I, I don't think that's the case. These guys, first of all, these guys have a broader perspective on the NHL that I think was required in the people who would be taking this job, these jobs over. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know. But you're right. He said all the right things. I know him well enough to know that he's smart and he's committed. And if you're a Flyers fan, I think it's okay to be optimistic about this. No guarantees, but it's okay to be optimistic. And by the way, key to all this, and he mentioned this just uh, early in the interview, is Dan Hilferty, who's the guy yeah. who was on our show a couple weeks ago, yep. who's really come in to run the whole thing from the Comcast Spectacore thing, is kind of going to be his godfather with this. Yes. And that's Dan Hilferty is a guy who knows everybody and everything about business in this town, and that's as good a godfather as you can have. So we thank Jonesy for coming on. Uh, we've gone a little bit over, so we're going to hit a break. If you are still on the line and want to talk Sixers, want to talk Phillies, want to talk Eagles, want to talk about what we just heard from Keith Jones, please hang with us, 215-592-9494. We'll come back with what we're watching, which is going to be a little bit different this week, and then we'll take your calls and kick around whatever you want to kick around. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on WIP. All right, what we're watching, sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Receive 20% of all windows and doors with no money down. Up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Got a Door and Window today, one eight seven seven go guida or visit com. So this week, Glenn, we both kind of watched the world go by out the windows of airplanes. Yeah, seven-hour flight for me. <laughs> you were in Paris for the it week. was. How was that? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I had never been to Paris in my life. My wife and I, it's one of those places we always wanted to get to. We didn't travel as much early in our marriage as, as we wanted to, and we decided we better start doing it now. Uh, so we went to Paris. We went to a town called Rennes in Brittany, where my friend Don Russell, Joe Sixpack, mm -hmm. lives. So I traveled 6,000 miles to have a beer with him. <laughs> uh, and we went to Normandy, which I'll tell you in a second. All right, I'll give you I'll give you about a half a dozen quick observations. Okay. One, the people there are much friendlier than I expected. You not, always have that stereotype right, of the route. Yeah. Now they are nice and friendly. And by the way, nobody honks their car horn. Really? Yes. <laughs> like I'm used to a huge city like New York. It's like like people just like the drivers let other drivers in. All of that shocked me. Okay. Um, the best thing we did, and I advise this to anybody going to Paris, is something called the Paris by Mouth Tour, which is a three-and-a-half-hour walking tour, and there are three or four different neighborhoods they do it in, where basically we went, and the first stop was we got the place that was voted the best croissant in France, and so we had a croissant, oh. and continued to walk down the street and went to the fromagerie where they made this astounding cheese, greatest cheese I've ever eaten in my life. And then you go to the chocolatier and the pastry maker, and there's someone, and it's three and a half hours, and you end up sitting in a wine cellar having this amazing French wine, drinking all of this, oh. eating all of this. It was great. Paris by mouth, do it. Um, we made the two side trips, as I mentioned, uh, where where Joe Sixpack lives now is this 17th century, looks like a movie set. Wow. And I know you said you've you've been I've been over to Switzerland. To, yeah, and it's I, the same sort of feeling. It's, it's amazing. By the way, the beer in France is <laughs> don't go there for the beer. The right. wine is great. The mm -hmm. cognac is great. The coffee's not that good. I miss Wawa. Oh. They give you these little tiny cups of coffee. How like, can France not do coffee? They don't. They do bad coffee. Oh. Um, we did the D-Day tour in Normandy. It was it was a small group of seven of us in a van. Um, we saw all the beaches and the the cemeteries. 
They play taps at five in this sprawling American cemetery of over 9,000 men. Wow. Somewhere where you see all the crosses and mm-hmm. so on in, in the rows. Um, and I got to tell you, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen Band of Brothers or... or Saving Private Yeah, and, and those, but... When you are there, you you just feel the bravery of these guys, these kids. They're mm. they're nineteen, twenty years old who storm the beaches and climb these cliffs as gunfire is coming down at them. Um, it's it's astounding. They saved the world, and it that, that was all really moving. Um, last thing I'll say is we get used to certain things in America here. As I say, you, you can't get a good cup of coffee. You can get a great crepe. In the morning, you're pano shock a lot, and we get these tiny cups of espresso. The public restrooms there, like when I visit Italy, are three steps below the grungiest Ugh. Jersey truck stop you ever had, and I, 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 they're they're small. There's no privacy. They don't believe in urinal dividers over there. Oh, my gosh. And they also, like, the ladies' room and the men's room is, like, the same room. So oh. you're, like, at a urinal, and a woman's walking in to use the stall, which is, like, okay, I'm a modern guy. I can cope with it, but it's... it's if I it's, were in your shoes, I'd have held it all week. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but let me get back to the wine. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> and, and and the Renoir paintings. And we did it, you know, we did all the, the Louvre, and we did the, the Eiffel Tower and all of that. Um, the Mona Lisa and and the croissants and all that it was spectacular, and we had a marvelous time. That's just remarkable. Don't plan on going to the bathroom. Okay, later. so I got on a plane this week. You went as to well. a similar place. I went to a completely similar place. It's like six one half dozen the other. You went to Paris. I went to Amarillo, Texas. Never been. <laughs> it was, it was kind of cool. I went for book research. So I've mentioned to people that I'm working on this book about the myth and magic of the slam dunk. And one of my research trips was to go to Amarillo to talk to the son of a guy named Joe Fortenberry. And Joe Fortenberry was credited, uh, according to a writer from the New York Times, with dunking the ball for the first time in basketball history. Uh, And so he also played on the 1936 U.S. Olympic team. The 36 Olympics were held in Berlin. It was the Olympics of Adolf Hitler, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and Jesse Owens, very fortunately. Uh, and Joe Fortenberry was the best player on the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team. So I went down to Amarillo to talk to his son, Oliver, and it was this amazing trip where Oliver has saved every piece of writing and memorabilia that his father ever had and presented it to me uh, one by one. It was like going to a museum. Here's his jersey from the Olympics. Here's wow. his. Uh, here's the program from the 36 Olympics. Here is this newspaper article. Here's the register from the USS Manhattan that the boat that took the team yeah, over. Yeah, Here yeah. is his gold medal. I, I saw to, that. I, I got saw to hold that. his gold medal, That's which is really cool. cool. Um, so all of that was great. And Amarillo is a Texas town. You can get good Mexican food. Uh, you get a good steak, obviously, because it's Texas. The one hiccup in the trip was at one point, Oliver and I drove out to the farm where his father, Joe, had grown up, this 600-acre farm. It's nothing but grass and farmland. And I drive my rental RAV4 out into the middle of this field where Oliver is pointing me to go. This is where the farm was. And we stop in the middle of this field, and we're about to get out. And he says, before we get out, watch out for rattlesnakes. Oh, Sincerely. Geez. Oh, gosh. And I, I said, I'm sorry? Excuse me? <laughs> 
<laughs> and he, I couldn't quite tell if he was just saying this because I was a Yankee and he uh, wanted to kind of put the fear of God in me. And he's like, oh, no, that there's the possibility for rattlesnakes out here. I'm like, okay. So we stepped out of the car. Fortunately, no rattlesnakes. Stood in the middle of this field to get a sense of how it was for Joe Fortenberry growing up in the middle of nowhere. And then quickly got back in the car <laughs> and drove back to uh, Oliver's house. That's going to be a great book. I hope so. You're working on. By the way, you got something going on with uh, Ray in the next day or two? I, I do, and you have something going on next month. So Monday night at 6 o'clock at the Doylestown Bookshop in, on Main Street in Doylestown, uh, Ray is going to be there with me. We're going to be doing a Q&A uh, starting at 6 p.m. about a play you may have heard of called Tommy and Me, mm -hmm. which is coming back to Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope. Uh, in a couple of weeks, and Ray is doing this event on Monday night to uh, to help promote it and to talk about the play and his career in sports journalism and writing and all of those sorts of things. And it's going to be him and me in a in a question and answer kind of session. And really excited about it. I just hope that my flight from Boston Monday morning after Game Seven gets me back in time and that there are no hiccups. But yes, yeah, six o'clock Monday night uh, at Doylestown Bookshop. And you, next month, have a very big event. Well, yeah, we're working on this now. Um, so the Conchalk and Brewing Company, which I'm part of, recently put out Fransky in L.A., Bedlam at the Bank, Golden Ale, uh, which is our charity release that we're doing with Scott and Larry. They chose the charity, which is great, which is the Philadelphia Youth Sports Consortium, which is a great uh, group. David Montgomery really loved this group, works with about 75 different organizations to make sports more accessible to uh, to kids who don't have the opportunity uh, otherwise. And so we released the beer with uh, money going to the charity. And on June the 8th, Thursday, June the 8th, 6 to 9 p.m. at our place, Puddler's uh, Tap and Kitchen, excuse me, um, in Bridgeport on DeKalb, we are having the the launch party. It's going to mm -hmm. be a little late because the beer right. came out. But it's like we had to coordinate days off for Scott and Larry and me. So it's going to be then, and it's going to be fun. They're going to be there. I know Bernie's going to be there. You're going to be there doing a book signing with mm -hmm. a couple of other good authors, including Ray. We're going to have some great auction items. We're also going to have some stuff that we want to make sure is affordable to everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're going to set up a photo booth with uh, life-size pictures of Scott and Larry. Oh, nice. You can take your picture with them. Uh, of course, the beer is going to be there. There's going to be a buffet. That is Thursday, June the 8th at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport, and we hope to get a big turnout, see everybody there. Yeah, should be great. Should be great. Let's get a couple of calls in before the break. Uh, let's try Chris in Newark, Delaware, wants to weigh in on the Phillies lineup. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks. And uh, before I get to my Phillies point, you're talking about the NFL schedule for Christmas. And, and, and Glenn, you're right. You know, the NFL rules the world. But, you know, sometimes between the NFL and family, there's personal choice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a technological idiot. I had a flip phone two years ago, but even I know how to uh, set the DVR or, and turn off my notification. So, you know, it's just me. I understand, but 70,000 people really who buy season tickets. But let, let me just right. let me interject. 70,000 people buy season tickets, uh, and there, how, how there many, are those of us in this room who work that day. Yeah, never mind how many stadium people workers, at the stadium are right? going to work. Um, yeah, I just I, – I, I don't know, Chris. I, I love football. I love the NFL. I'm torn about it at times for different reasons, but this just seems to me a bridge too far. It's a Monday. It's a Monday afternoon. It's Christmas. I, it just rubs me the wrong way. Guys, I'm not trying to be snarky here, but you have the best job in the world. 
So sometimes you take the good with the Oh, bad. we know that. Oh, we, we know. We, we absolutely know. know that. We absolutely know that. And thanks, Chris. Thank you. No, he's he's right. Like, and I don't want to portray this as I'm complaining because I have to work on Christmas Day. I just think because I've worked on Christmas Days for years. Yeah, sure. It's more about it being a Monday afternoon. It's not necessary. It's right. It's it's. They already got Monday night, and and I think by Monday night everybody's like, okay, we're done opening the gifts. I'm tired of my family. Let's go to the game. Right. Right, not at four. The afternoon you can't do that at four thirty in the afternoon. Uh, nah. you're, you're you're throwing not throwing the whole day away, but you're taking up the entire day. Sure. Uh, our friend Clay in Kansas City wants to uh, weigh in on the Eagles' schedule as well and on Game Seven. Go ahead, Clay. Um, first of all, Philly fans are like the best fans in the world. Okay, I've been listening to you guys on Odyssey for a little while. The passion that comes through with your fan base, it, it's infectious. I'll just tell you. Started out an Eagles fan because of Embiid. I've kind of become a Sixers fan now too, so um, you guys should be proud of that. Well, thank you. Uh, as someone who used to be a Philadelphia sports fan and now covers the teams, <laughs> uh, no, I really, accept your yeah, praise. It, it's unfair. It's really unparalleled. Um, you know, I've listened to a lot of sports radio. You guys will have no trouble, or, or as Eagles fans, you guys know I'm a big Eagles fan. You'll have no, we'll have no trouble filling that stadium uh, Christmas Day. Yeah. You know, a couple, one thing on the schedule, and then one thing on the Sixers because I've been watching. I've been watching all year, honestly, because I love Embiid. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, on the Sixers, the, the play that just blew my mind was Harden dunking the other night. I didn't think he had that in him. That's the sort of James Harden they need if they want to compete tomorrow. Instead of the James that's driving in and literally just trying to draw a foul and then whines when he doesn't get the call. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, Clay. And, uh, you know, they're going to need the, – the problem in game six was that Harden dunk was the only time Harden really asserted himself in any regard in that game. Um, totally agree. Totally and, agree. and what's your yeah. what's your uh, uh, thought so on the, the schedule? On the, so it's interesting because I have to go to a bar a lot of times to watch the Eagles games just because, you know, they're just not in my right. region. So I always look at the schedule differently than, you know, the hometown fan does. I look at it as, okay, what games do I think I'm going to get on my TV in my living room? And I noticed this year we have an abundance of late afternoon games. And that's a great TV window. And to me it says that the NFL, not only do they know the Eagles are good, but they know the Eagles are going to be really good and there's no concern about them being good late in the year. I mean, you can move these games around, Mike. We know that. But I just think there's a lot of confidence that the Eagles are going to be very good when you look at the way the TV window's set up, even though they only got two Sunday night games. And all this is the rest of the year, guys. Love the show. All right. Clay, thank you so much. Thanks, Clay. Uh, I turned myself off accidentally. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm having trouble with the board today. I don't know. It's I right. must have had too right. much coffee Learning curve, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing just great. Um, we got to hit a break. When we come back, uh, we'll have our Cooper Doc segment with Dr. Mark Pollard. Sean, hang in there. Uh, we have Keith Pompey coming up at noon to talk about Game 7 as well. Taking your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski, WIP. Well, there was a reason JT Romuto was shaking his right hand after sliding into third base, and we're going to get into those reasons right now with our uh, friends at Cooper Doc. Uh, Dr. Mark Pollard joins us. Dr. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Hope you guys are doing well also. We are. So, JT Realmuto, the Phillies catcher, uh, sprained his right pinky finger uh, on that slide into third base last night in Colorado. What sort of problems is a sprained right pinky finger going to present to a Major League Baseball catcher? Um, well, obviously, you know, all the fingers are involved in, uh, uh, you know, making plays with the ball and so forth. Um, 
you know, just by its position, uh, the small finger uh, tends to get hurt a little bit more frequently just because it tends to uh, kind of be at the edge of where the hand is and gets caught on things. So just like in this case, I think he uh, was sliding into the base and kind of awkwardly got it stuck on the base and kind of pushed and twisted in a uh, direction that he wasn't expecting. And so uh, from what I understand, the x-rays didn't show any fractures. Correct. That's uh, right. Because, you know, that's, that's obviously one of the first things you worry about is, you know, the bones are pretty small and they're not that hard to break. So that's probably a good thing. Um, but, you know, you have all the other structures that help support the, the joint in the, in the small finger, um, you know, the ligaments uh, foremost among them. And so just like you can sprain your ankle, you can sprain your finger. Uh, and so that essentially what that means is that those ligaments got stretched. And it sounds like they probably didn't get stretched uh, severely in that I, I think he's, they're expecting him to miss maybe a couple of days. Yeah, That's he, the initial report. Yeah, yeah. he's going to sit out tonight's game, but beyond that, it doesn't sound particularly serious. Yeah, I mean, for a baseball player, you know, there's a little bit more manual dexterity uh, using the hands for, you know, catching the ball and throwing the ball. And this is his right hand, and that's his throwing hand. Um, you know, whereas a football player who maybe doesn't handle the ball all the time can sometimes tape the finger to the next one over to help support it and continue playing, whereas – you know, with playing baseball, you've got to, uh, again, you got to be able to have the dexterity to uh, catch the ball and move the ball, get the ball out of the glove without hesitation. And so I would see probably mainly trying to get the ball out of his catcher's mitt if he was trying to throw to second to get somebody stealing is probably the biggest challenge. And I'm assuming there's, other than rest, there's really no treatment for it, right? I mean, it's not... Yeah, other than, know. you know, trying to protect it, you, you want to try to... Uh, make <laughs> minimize the chance that you make it worse. And so that's why uh, you know, they call it buddy taping. You kind of tape the finger to the next one over to give it some support and also to uh, make it so that you know, your small finger's not hanging out away from all the other fingers and uh, for the potential for it to get caught on something again. Would he more likely be able to hit before he can throw, catch and throw? Would he be more likely to come back as a DH for a day or two? Not that they're going to take Bryce Harper. Uh, I would think so because, uh, as I see it, you know, batting is something you could potentially do with the finger tape to the next one over. Whereas, you know, again, manipulating the ball, you know, picking the ball up out of the mitt and throwing it, I think, would be altered more substantially uh, if uh, the finger was taped to the next one over. Dr. Mark Pollard from Cooper Bone and Joint. Thank you so much for joining us as usual. All right, thanks, guys. Have, Have a, a great day. weekend. There you go. So, not too bad. Uh, you hope. Yeah. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, I thought about DH, but Harper's DH. Yeah. It is astounding how well Harper has come back. It's crazy. It's he is great. <laughs> you know, I I I brought this up on a previous show, but you know, Nick Sirianni kidded with me one day at a at a press conference about Jalen Hurts healing faster than everybody oh, yeah, else yeah, yeah, yeah. and running. Bryce Harper actually does. Oh, yeah. He's like Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. You know, it's pretty amazing. It really is. And and look, Glenn, you know, they're 19 and 19 now. They are, the Braves are way out in front mm -hmm. in the National League East. Seven games up on the Phillies, I think. Uh, at least they were heading into last night. But the rest of the league is not, tear, you know, tearing no. it up. I no. mean, and it's early yet, so mm -hmm. 
they've kind of the Phillies have kind of struggled a bit and kind of been under the radar, but they're fine. It looked like again, I'm over in France looking at box scores, right? Mm-hmm. And you know what's weird about being somewhere like it's six hours ahead. Yeah. So you can never figure out when stuff's coming out, right? <laughs> I wake up in the morning and see the box scores. But um it looked like Wheeler had a good start he finally did. the other night. Yeah. They need Wheeler and Nola particularly. And mm-hmm. I guess Suarez too, once he gets back, yeah. Right. To to like carry him because the 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 top line pitchers have not done their part. No, they have not. They they really have not. Uh, Sean wants to talk about the history of the process. He's in Limerick. He's also has something to say about Jalen Hurts. Hi, Sean. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, Glenn, welcome back. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So I, you know, thinking about this game and Ah, oh, we lost them. This is like oh, there we go. Sean, you're cutting it. Whole... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Hold on take out the speaker. I'm driving on the Northeast Extension head to a baseball game. All right. Are you with us? You, you I'm there? sorry. I'm here. I'm okay. here. Go, Go for it. So to me, like, this is like, this kind of either is going to validate this whole, I mean, Tony Roten days, Mike Mascala, and all the heartache that we went through over the last 10 plus years, I think comes down to this game. And I, you know, when I think back to the, you know, the game we just lost, and I knew Boston was going to come out strong and going to punch us in the mouth. And I thought we came back and had to lead with, I think, Maxi. There was that mix-up where back had two foul shots, beat a yeah. shot. Them. Yep. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, we had the best player on the court, and then Jason Tatum kind of warped into Reggie Miller the last four minutes. But the thing that bothered me is I. If you had the best player on the court, how can he not get a shot in the last four minutes? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting, Sean. Glenn and I batted that question around earlier, and how much of that comes down to the other four guys on the floor not getting Joel Embiid the ball? And how much of it, though, comes down to Joel Embiid having to grab James Harden or Tyrese yep. Maxey by the scruff of the jersey and say, give me the damn ball. I'm going to yep. win this for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that, you know, Joel escaped a good bit of criticism for that, at least locally. I heard people nationally kind of saying that about him. And, you know, I think it's one of the many things you gotta you got to look hard at in this game is what kind of performance is he going to give in this moment because he's the MVP. It's got to be him. It's got to be him, right? It starts with him. I mean, uh, I, I think – you know, but I also think Doc has a responsibility. I think the one thing that I drives me crazy, and uh, we saw a lot of the last game, we saw a lot of the game too. Like I almost like when Maxi brings the ball up, and just the pace. Like when Harden brings the ball up, sometimes he gets in that spot where he's just kind of dribbling yeah. aimlessly by yeah. himself, and then we have like five seconds left in the shot clock. I I, something up. I hear what you're saying, Sean, and thanks for the call. It's a, it's a counterbalance, right? Harden and Embiid run the pick and roll better, but Maxi does play with pace. Uh, we've got to get to a break here. Coming back at noon, we're going to have Keith Pompey from the Inquirer to talk more in depth about Game 7 and what's ahead. If you're on the line, hang in there. Uh, we will, of course, take your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski, WIP. Hey, you're tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guider. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door? You paint it over it more times than you can count. Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. 
And what about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. So, Glenn Mack, now, who will be the present-day Andrew Tony, the Boston Strangler for the Sixers tomorrow? Well, I can tell you it's not going to be Tobias Harris. <laughs> or if it was, that would be a shock. That, that, that would be a shock. They could use some more, uh, some more offense from Tobias there. Um, so, to talk about that and all things related to the Sixers and the Celtics in Game 7 and the ramifications of it all as a guy who's been covering them, I think longer and better than anybody else on the beat. Now my friend and colleague at the Inquirer, Mr. Keith Pompey. Keith, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show, fellas. You got it. You got it. So let's start big picture, okay? Assume for the sake of argument the Sixers win tomorrow. What does it mean for them? What What does it mean both for this playoff run and for their future beyond this season? You know what, I, I think it could mean that, I mean, I think it was, it's great for the future behind the, se- uh, behind the season. I think for the most part, you know, you look at it and, and you say to yourself, like, I might as well bring as many guys back as I can. I mean, of course, there are going to be certain guys that you have to look long and hard at and, and figure out, like, uh, maybe we can get another upgrade and for this position. But I think you know, the core players for the most part, and unless James doesn't want to come back, I mean, I, I think you would bring them back and, and feel like, you know, we got a team. Because I think they they learned a lot from the Jimmy Butler thing when they had that squad and they kept saying, we're going to keep it, we're going to keep it. Mm-hmm. And then they dismantled that squad. And, you know, the Sixers have never been the same in my eyes. And if they lose... If they lose, I think a lot of guys aren't going to be in the building. I mean, I honestly do. I, I think that, uh, you know, you, the guys that you probably definitely will be back would be Embiid and, and, and Maxie. You know, everyone else, I, I think you got to consider that this could be their last game in, in a Sixers uniform. Keith, I come to this uh, with an admitted uh, bit of ignorance because I was out of town. I was out of the country uh, since game two, so I haven't seen other than highlights of these games. But I'm, I would like your opinion on something. I was really bothered by what I heard from two players after the last game. One was Embiid saying, like, well, I couldn't get the ball for the last four and a half minutes, which you're Joel Embiid, you should have the ball. And the other was uh, James Harden complaining about the referees, saying that he felt he should have got more foul calls. Both of those struck me as excuse-making that I don't want to hear from my team going into Game 7. Yeah, they, they, they didn't just struck, uh, strike you that way. They, they, they were um, excuse-making that shouldn't have happened. Now, again, you know, Joel Embiid is a center. You know, someone, someone has to give him the ball. 
but there was a time in the third quarter where Tobias Harris made a pass to the perimeter and it turned ended up being a turnover when he had an option to give the ball to Joel Embiid in the paint. And Joel Embiid gave him an earful. In the fourth quarter, Joel Embiid wasn't screaming and yelling at folks. So if you're the, the franchise player and, and you want the ball, you do what you did to Tobias Harris in the third. You yell and scream until you get the ball, right? So he could have helped himself. Now, again, they, the, they could have helped him by getting it to him, but he could have helped himself by saying, give me the ball, give me the ball. Now, the thing about Harden, you know, it's like to the point you're complaining about the, the refs, yes, that was bad. And also, you know, you're saying like, hey, no, we, all we had to do was make shots. Well, they didn't have the same hustle, the same energy, the same everything that they had in game five. So, yeah, both of those things were, were kind of bad, and, and guys got to look in the mirror. You got to stop making excuses. And you got to realize you got to man up, so to speak, like you did for game five. Mm-hmm. And you have to I- accept what's going on, and you just got to play hard. People in Philadelphia don't want to hear excuses. So we're talking with Keith Pompey from the Inquirer, covers the Sixers, looking ahead to game seven tomorrow. Keith, the one coaching adjustment, the one significant coaching adjustment that Joe Mazzulla made before and heading into game six was to put both of the Celtics bigs on the floor at the same time. You had Al Horford out there and Robert Williams, and it seemed to disrupt and discombobulate the Sixers all night when those two two were together. Now, Doc Rivers kind of counter-adjusted a little bit, got George Niang out there to try to stretch the floor and run a little more pick and roll. Uh, If the Celtics do that again, A, how big a problem is that for the Sixers, and B, what can they do to counteract it other than maybe relying on George Niang? You know what, the funny part is I kind of think that, yes, it was a problem, but I also think that the Sixers didn't handle it properly. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where I felt like that was an opportunity for Harden to step up, you know, an opportunity for Maxie to step up, for DeAnthony Melton to step up because of use their quickness and some other things and be able to get to certain spots and hit shots. And they just didn't do it. You know, like, I know everyone made a big deal out of it. And, yes, when you do drive the lane, you got the towers there. But I just felt like they didn't handle it. Now, the thing is, yes, you know, you need more. You need better perimeter shooting. You have to take advantage of that. And and I think that does involve George Niang. But the only problem with that is it seems like the Sixers don't want to keep him on the floor a lot because for fear of Boston attacking him right. on defense. Right. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. But – you know, it, it's one of those things, Mike, where, where we look at it. And, yes, um, Robert Williams is a great defender. and and But I felt as if it was one of those things where the Sixers were bailing them out by some of their plays. Guys were struggling shooting the ball in the perimeter. And I felt like they might have panicked a little bit in regards to, like, hurry up quick and making these adjustments and doing all these other things. So, you know, I just feel like they just got to go out there and play. And, and, and they need big games from James, and they need a big game from Maxi, and, and, and especially a big game from DeAnthony Melton if they want to win this, win, win this series and win this game seven. It is interesting how important DeAnthony Melton has gotten. 
Listen, I mentioned Tobias Harris earlier in in kind of a joking manner, and he had two points the other night. He's had single digits in three of the last five games. Um, and maybe it's not important. Maybe it is just the guys you said. Maybe it's you know the three man game of uh, Harden and Embiid and Maxi. Um, or I guess it's an either or question. Do they need Tobias Harris to be productive? Oh, you definitely do. Because, you know, here's the thing. When you look at that and you say to yourself now, right now, you know, Tobias Harris is another guy who's a big who can stretch the floor, right? So he has to be able to step up. And if you look at the Sixers, they're extremely successful when Tobias Harris has big games. You know, now there are some people who may argue and say, look, Tobias, he, he stunk up the joint. And then there's other people going to say, but look, he really didn't get the ball after the first quarter. There was no plays run for him. this match. I think that Tobias has to come out better. He can't rush shots early on. And he has to be a little bit more aggressive. Like, he sits back a lot of times and he waits for the – he he likes playing in the floaty offense, swinging the ball but he expects it to come back. It's not going to come back. So when he gets it, he has to play like he did in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, go straight hard to the hole or, or, or make these open shots that they're going to give him. And I think that you're right. Yes, the guards have to play well, but Tobias has to be able to get players in space and, and make baskets. So, Keith, one of the puzzling things to me in this series is that the two home games – where the Sixers came in with their home crowd absolutely at a fever pitch. Game three, when Embiid was getting the MVP trophy, and game six the other night, when they have the chance to win the series and move on, they came out flat. Now, the, yeah. flip, the flip side of that is that the Celtics have lost two of the three games on their home court, too. Does it matter that this game is at TD Garden, given kind of the the psychological and emotional states of these two teams? Uh, Do do you really give the Celtics an edge because they're playing at home? You know, that's a great question because when you look at it, you're right. Both teams have won two of their games at at home. I do. I I give them an edge because, you know, I I feel like with the Celtics, or at least you would consider after they won the last game, there is now a sense of urgency, you know what I mean, before mm-hmm. that. And I feel like the crowd is going to be electric. And then you also think about history. You know, the, the 76ers, you know, they, they're they 6-11 and um, in game seven, but they're 1-9 in game sevens on the road. They lost their last three. And I know that a lot of people on this roster aren't a part of it, but you also know that Doc Rivers has struggled in game seven. So has James Harden. And we know that, you know, Joel, his history, he plays well, but the team loses. So I I feel like Boston does have an advantage, you know, because it's going to be, I feel like they're going to be able to ride. Now, again, you look at the history and you see where the 76ers, we're tied for the NBA with the second best road record. You see a lot of other things, but for this one game, if I'm Doc Rivers, I would prefer to have it at home, even if I lost all three of my home games. You know sure. what I mean? Just yep. because of that. Yeah. Um, you've covered the team for how long, Keith Pompey? 
This is my tenth season. Okay. Oh gosh, you started just when the process started. Yeah, yeah. All right. So it's uh, all his fault, Glenn. No, nah, nah. so I mean, I, you know, we're talking legacy game. If if they win, hey, they go on to the Eastern Conference Finals. They play Miami. I assume they're going to be a favorite. Get to the NBA Finals. It's well, we have another chapter. If they lose, what do you think happens? You know, I, I think you know, I do think they'll break it up. But the, the thing about we're talking about legacy games, and and I feel like if they lose. This could be more of a defining moment for Joel Embiid than um, getting MVP, being first team. Because, you know, I'm I'm actually writing about that for tomorrow. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, he's a great player, you know, great player, but it just seems like he just can't get his team out of the second round. And I think that's how people are going to define him. And a lot of it isn't his fault. You know, he has a better cast of teammates now. I mean, he's had, you know, he had injuries before. One of them was the Kawhi Leonard uh, four-bounce shot that got him out in 2000, I believe it was 19, um, or 2018. And then two years ago, it was like Ben Simmons passing up the ball. I mean, you know, passing the ball instead of taking a layup. Oh, yeah. That's what people remember. But it's just come to a point where at both times, Joel came back and said, you know, he cried. We owe you one. The first, the second one, he apologized to everyone, saying, I had a torn meniscus, but next time I'm going to get you there. And now this is it. And I feel like that could be go down as this is what people are going to remember him as. Great player, but he had an inability to get his team out of the second round. Keith, are they winning or losing? You know what? This is funny. I keep saying that to myself, Mike. I don't think they'll win, right? I don't think they'll win. And because I'm saying that, they'll probably uh. win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if this season, if for whatever it is, this team, I'll be honest with you, I had butterflies before game five, like as if I was playing, because I didn't know what to expect because of the team's history. And then after they won that game, I, I was telling everybody they were going to blow them out in game six. And when, when they lost, I was shocked. So now I expect them to get blown out in game seven, which makes me think they're going to win. Like <laughs> yeah. this team is just crazy. Yep. You know, it's been you the know? series. Yep. That's, yep. Been, that's been the series. That's been the experience of watching and covering this Sixers team for the last decade. Keith Pompey. Thank you, my friend. I will see you in Boston tomorrow. All right. Thanks. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank fellas. you, Keith. Always a pleasure. Yeah. He's been through it, man, for the last ten years. Uh, his timing is exactly that of the process. So he's he's, yeah, he's been carrying this thing for a decade. He has, he has. Um, we will come back in a few. Uh, if you have uh, anything you want to weigh in on related to the Sixers, the Eagles, John, I know you're on the line. Hang in there. We have a caller, Glenn, who will be selling his season tickets. I don't know if he's selling his season tickets or selling his Christmas Day tickets. Mm. Um, so we can get into that. Uh, and anything else, 215-592-9494. I am Mike Sealski. He is Glenn Mack now. This is WIP. Everybody very excited if you're an Eagle, you were an Eagles fan on draft night that the Eagles drafted Jalen Carter. But, Glenn, a little bit of news came out this week mm. from our friend Tim McManus at ESPN uh, that gave me a little pause. When it comes to Jalen Carter, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, 
Tim reported that Carter was driving with a suspended license on the night of January 15th in Athens, Clark County, Georgia, when he was involved in the road racing incident that led to the charges against him and uh, led to two deaths, uh, including uh, a teammate of his at Georgia. Um, I know the Eagles did their due diligence. They have Don DeSandro, who is the best at this in the NFL. Man, I just wonder. I, I, I'm just wondering if if there's something coming down the pike with this kid. I don't want there to more be. Th- more than you did? Because to me, the suspended license is kind of part and parcel of the whole thing. It may be. Maybe. I don't know. It was just it was an additional kind of pebble on the pile for me. Okay. Uh, that leads me to wonder, and I hope the kid, I hope Jalen Carter gets his head on straight, and I hope that being around the people in the Eagles locker room and their infrastructure will help him. It just, I, I wish I felt better about it. Um, I don't feel differently about it than I did because it, it's like the least surprising thing I've ever heard that when all this occurred, oh, by the way, he was driving with a suspended license. Mm-hmm. It's like you you knew what this was all about. You were getting a an extremely talented young man who dropped in the draft because of issues that arose out of won this particular case, mm-hmm. which showed you know horrible irresponsibility and and recklessness, literally. Yeah. Um, as well as some buzz that his own coaches had warned NFL teams about him. Yeah. So you're the Eagles. You're at that point where the draft is falling, and it's like you know what, we're willing to take the risk because we think he is that good of a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was ranked other than the quarterbacks, the most talented yep. guy in the draft. Uh, we th- we think we have the culture both with his teammates and the organization and so on that we can guide him in the right direction and he will mature. And as you said, Dom DeSangro, who is the Eagles head of security, well, he's more than that now, yeah. he's vice president of whatever, um, did all that research, talked to everybody who ever encountered him, and they have reason to believe it. It's it's to steal the old cliche. It can be a boomer bust pick. Yeah. I mean, you know, would I be surprised if he has a perennial all pro career? No. Will I be surprised if he's out of the league in three years? No. No. You, yeah. You 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 know the risk you're taking. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to follow uh, how he tracks uh, and what effect, if anything, being in the NFL and being on this team in particular has for him. Uh, John from Mullica Hill is a an Eagles season ticket holder. And, John, you're likely going to be selling your tickets on Christmas Day. Do I have that right? Most likely, Mike. Yeah, great show, guys. Uh, thank you so much. Um, uh, love this job you guys have been doing. Thanks. Um, and, Glenn, great tip for the uh, France trip. I just did something very similar down in Baltimore at Fells Point. I highly recommend it. Is that right? Um, What's it called? Yeah, yeah. I, they have, I would do that well, for a day. They, they do like a – it's like a, a food and history walk tour. Um, went to four different places, about like three, three and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, $100, $100 a person, well worth it. Yeah, but John, after like your 12th crab cake, like what's left? Actually, no. There was only on one of the four stops, there was only one crab cake. Uh, okay. else what else do you eat in Baltimore now that we're on the topic? Oh, goodness. Uh, we had some Thai food. We had some Mexican food. And the last spot was like a 
patisserie, charcuterie, right. cheese. So it, it's like not that. all stuff that is like necessarily native to Baltimore. Correct. But, okay. but all around the Fells Point area. Because we have kids, whenever we would go to Baltimore, we'd go to the Inner Harbor, we'd go to the aquarium, and I never right. experienced something like that before. It was awesome. Good. Cool. Terrific. So yeah, uh, definitely right. your, your tickets, Christmas Day. Yeah, so, so I've had season tickets since 92. Um, I was kind of disappointed when, when the schedule came out, especially since the Super Bowl winning team has the 16th uh, hardest uh, you know, schedule. Um, but, you know, I, I, we always like to try to travel somewhere. And, you know, with the schedule that the Eagles have, I'm not sure where we'll be able to go. But for me, you know, we, you know, we host Christmas Day. It's a Monday. It's a 4 o'clock game. And they're, they're playing the Giants. They should win that game. Now, your producer did say to me, well, what if it's for, you know, locking up the, you know, the East, the right. number one seed? Uh, I might have to go because my boys are 20, 18, 16, and 13, and they know about the magic of the holiday. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that, and plus they probably want to go. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be an easy uh, sell for a, for a Giants fan. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And, John, thank you so much for the call. That's that's the conundrum that I face, Glenn, and I'm thinking about it in terms of other Eagles fans who have similar situations to mine. Sure. My two, my two sons are 11 and 8. Yeah. Like, I don't want to – again, I've worked Christmas before. I, I know you're – it's, it's, I know you're saying it's not a – yeah. it's not the burden you have of working Christmas. Right. It's, it's, it's the fact that – Really, like you had to do this, and you're doing, you're inflicting this upon a whole bunch of other people. And it is everybody who works at the stadium and everybody else. By the way, just I'm, I, he brought this up, and and I hadn't had the chance to look at it. What are the the best road trips this year for uh-huh. fans? Well, do you want to go to Seattle in the middle of December? No. Do you want to go to Dallas or Fort Worth? Eh, I've done Dallas. Uh, I mean, most fans have done Dallas. Do you like barbecue and want to go to Kansas City in November? Yes. There and that's go. a good town. Kansas City is actually fun. And, you know. Tampa Bay in late September. Is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Los Angeles in October. Yeah. Actually, those are they have some decent trips. Yeah. They're not too bad. I mean, I think I think the way John might have been looking at it is, hey, the Dolphins are on their schedule. You don't get to go to Miami. Right. You Niners. Know, right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Mike calling from, as luck would have it, Baltimore. Oh. Uh, wants to talk to some Sixers. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good. Can I ask you a food question first? I was going to say, you want my recommendation for crab cakes? Kind of, yes. Uh, yeah, Fadley, do that, and Fadley, then I got another one. Fadley's at Lexington Market and Mo Seafood, two best crab cakes in Baltimore. Okay, and I appreciate that. So other than crab cakes, what's the essential food you get, like somebody from out of town should get? Well, the, the signature thing in, in Baltimore would be I would say crab cakes and and the cookies are sort of um, unique here in Baltimore. Burger cookies, which is um, a German tradition, which is a big part of uh, Baltimore City. Early on was the German um, population. They made cookies. You have burger cookies and Otterbein cookies. What is it? Bur- well, yeah, you got to define burger, burger cookies. Get them. Get them. You'll love them. But that has nothing to do with a hamburger, right? It's just... No, nothing to do with the okay. hamburgers. Okay. The burger cookie and okay. Otterbein's Bakery. Okay. Best Appreciate sugar it. cookies. Best sugar cookies you'll ever have. I guarantee it. Okay. Uh, um, so what are your thoughts on the Sixers, Mike? Okay. My thoughts on the Sixers are, you know, it's one thing for Doc to say, you know, you got to trust each other. You got, but he's not coaching. And the problem with that last four minutes was that they 
They were swinging the ball on the outside. Joel Embiid's bottled up with two big guys. You got to attack the hoop. That's when you get people in the foul trouble. You got to pull those guys off of Joel. And the only way to do it is Tobias Harris bringing that ball in hard and getting some foul, getting them into foul trouble, and and, and making them move out of position. And Joel has to move a little. That's not the time for him to post up when he's double teamed. That's the time for him to take his little jump shot from the from inside the paint and get his two points. This idea that they have to throw down 18 three-pointers, 23-pointers is way overrated. They have to be aggressive in this game. They can win this game. They've got the personnel. I think they've got better personnel, truthfully. And uh, Doc's got to use it right. You're not going to just throw Yang in the game and get a different result. That just doesn't work. He's got a coach. Yeah. I, and, I, uh, go ahead, Lou. He looked, go ahead, he, he, looked a, he looked a little lost out there. He did. Huh. I mean, he just sort of looks like he's not drawing up plays. He's not, you know, he's not really changing the course of the game. You have to make adjustments that sort of look different and sort of change the way the opposition is looking at you. You, you know, and it has go, mix go ahead, it up. Yeah, you know, Mike, you make a, a good point in this regard, Glenn. Mike makes a good point here in that I wonder if Doc's, and I'm sure he's addressed this over his career as a coach, I wonder if Doc's, background as an NBA player leads him in those moments to trust his players at a time when a coach, as Mike put it, ought to be saying, guys, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we need to do. Whereas instead, he kind of leaves it in his players' hands. I'm more the second. I think the way they win tomorrow is Joel Embiid goes out there and scores 53 That may be. I mean, to me, that's, you know, it's, I don't. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying he's uh, got to like change strategy necessarily. I'm just yeah. talking about like in the last few minutes no, of the game. No, I know, I know. Uh, to me, this one is on the players more than mm-hmm. coach. Yeah, there's something to be said. It's on Embiid and Harden. That's that's like you just win the damn game. Yeah, uh, Lou from Swedesboro uh, wants to talk Jalen Carter. Go ahead, Lou. Hey, uh, good 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 morning, guys. And I've uh, called this, uh, previously, uh, Glenn, but Mike, first time I've had a chance to talk with you. Um, I've got a little bit of background. I'm a former prosecutor. I'm an attorney. Okay. And um, first, as to the question of whether uh, the Eagles knew, I'm absolutely sure they knew when they did sure. the due diligence that this was there. But I was concerned uh, for a couple of reasons on this on this uh, draft. Um, one is if, in fact, uh, the matter goes forward and doesn't settle. Um, anybody who's ever been involved in litigation knows, even in like kind of the easiest litigation, it can be uh, time-consuming, distracting. And, and, and just now you have not, somebody not, where there was a death, which is certainly far from easy. This yeah, is and very Lou, stressful. Lou, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just, for our listeners, um, the father of one of the people who was killed in this road racing incident, I believe it's the father of the Georgia football player, has filed a lawsuit uh, against Carter. Uh, I just wanted to mention that for, for background. So. Yeah, I apologize. I That's okay. No, no, that. no. That's okay. So, so uh, I've been concerned about, you know, this guy's a young guy. I don't make any value judgments as to mistakes because we're all young at one point. We all made mistakes. Some can be much more tragic like this one than others. But um, when he goes through this process, which, by the way, is going to be a multi-year process because, frankly, a plaintiff's lawyer is going to see a big ticket, all right, a big, mm-hmm. a big check potentially. Mm-hmm. So you could conceivably have this young man distracted by this by two, three, four, five years while he's maturing as a player. And that has caused me great concern, uh, not only going through the process, but it's always going to be in his mind. He's Every time he gets 
has to meet with his lawyer every time he has to think about what's called depositions or trial or interrogatories, whatever it is, he's got to relive this over and over again. There's no opportunity for closure. And I was always very concerned about how's that going to, first of all, as a human being, how's it affect mm-hmm. him? But beyond that, in the context of football, how's it going to affect him on the arguably the most important years of his life when he's trying to learn the craft, okay, at a whole different whole different level? So I've, I've been very concerned from that perspective. There's a second point uh, which has not come out, which probably means it doesn't matter. I can't speak for any other state other than New Jersey, but in New Jersey, if you're if you're uh, convicted of driving with a suspended or revoked license and somebody gets injured, there's a consequence of jail time that can t- attach to that. Now, perhaps I don't I haven't done that type of law in years and years, so it may not uh, be the case for a first offense. I know it is for a second offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is in Georgia. I it probably would have heard about that already. So that's yeah, probably not. I can't imagine. I think I that was covered. Jail time. Yeah, I think that was yeah. covered under his, you know, when he pleaded no contest. Yeah, a plea bargain. Yeah, yeah. So I think that covered that. But, you know, I, I just I, I, I was concerned, you know, as I, and I don't want to repeat myself, but you, you yeah. guys, you're the experts. But I would think that over the first five or six or seven years, that's when you're really learning your craft. And I'm telling you, for at least half of those years, he's going to be dealing with this lawsuit unless it gets settled. I, uh, very problematic. Thank you. My, Thank you. My Luke. hunch. Yeah. He cuts a deal. Yeah. He'll he'll settle out of court. Cut with, a deal. Uh, with the parent, with the father. And yeah, because. You can't let something that, like that linger. I mean, the Eagles are still an NFL team. They're going to be evaluating him based on how he performs on the field. And if this is hanging over his head, if that lawsuit is hanging over his head and affecting how he plays, the Eagles are only going to give him so much help and so much time sure. to work it out before they say, sorry, we can't help you anymore. He's going you to sign, go. I mean, it's going to sound very crass. He's going to sign a very lucrative contract. And uh, much of that, I'm supposing, will go to – uh, the person who was suing him. Yep, that's right. Uh, Andy in Spring Garden wants to talk about the Celtics making Game 6 adjustments. Hi, Andy. Hey, how you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, so I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit about how frustrating it was to watch P.J. Tucker miss, you know, we, and we've talked about this all series, about him missing those corner threes, mm-hmm. but they're giving, they're giving it to us on a, on a silver platter now. We just need to find a guy in the rotation who can hit it because when they have uh, Williams out there, guarding Embiid along with Horford, that corner three, is it's wide open. And if we can hit every other one of those shots, that is that that is so many open threes. And I, it, it would be a, a huge difference if we could find somebody in the rotation to hit that today or tomorrow. I think if you're counting on P.J. Tucker to hit some game-winning shots, you are really reaching, <laughs> Andy. I, I'm telling you, I'm going to say it again. Yeah. It to me, it's on Embiid. It's it's on Harden. Max, he's a kid. I really don't even want to put it on him. Tobias Harris would be nice if he could hit a shot. Other than that, anybody else you're counting on is you're asking too much. Yeah. You don't think we could? You know, I I would be for benching, not benching, but not starting PJ Tucker. He's out there for another reason. And when they were winning games, he got a lot of credit. For yes. his role in those games. Look, there's a reason that PJ Tucker is standing wide open in the corner. It reminds me of what of an anecdote about John Cheney when he was coaching at Temple. He screamed and yelled at a kid during you know timeout gets called. A kid had missed a wide open layup under the basket, and Cheney's screaming and yelling at him as he comes to the bench. You shouldn't have shot the ball. You should. What are you doing shooting the ball? And the kid says, "But, but, coach, I'm I'm wide open under the basket." And Cheney says, "There's a reason you're wide <laughs> open under the basket. Don't shoot the ball." And and the same principle is at work here with PJ Tucker. The Celtics 
are happy with him taking those corner threes. And to Andy's point, unless he and DeAnthony Melton hit one or two, there isn't much you can do. There really isn't much you can do. So, anyway, uh, we're closing in on the end here. Coming back from the break, Dan Wilson will tell us what we forgot to talk about. We have time for maybe a call or two at 215-592-9494. You've spent the afternoon and late morning with Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on WIP. Coming in for a landing, as the great Mark Zumoff would say here on 94 WIP, Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski. Go Birds Radio coming up after us with James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks. you got something big coming up Monday night, right? I do. Monday night, 6 o'clock. Up in Central Bucks County in Doylestown, the Bucks at the uh, Doylestown Bookshop, a fellow you may have heard of named Ray Dittinger and I will be sitting down for a Q&A starting at 6 o'clock. Ray's wonderful play, Tommy and Me, is coming back to the Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope this month, I believe as of the, maybe the 17th, 18th. And uh, so he's going to do a Q&A to talk about his career in sports media and the play and anything else that anyone wants to ask him about. So six Wait, you're, o'clock. You're with Ray on Monday. Yes. Yeah. By the way, I love those independent bookstores. They're great. I They're really, great. I, I, I love them, and it's a struggle, and I always root for them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in that one in Doylestown a lot, and it's the center of town. It's a hub of activity. It's awesome. I'm with Ray on Tuesday. Where, where are you guys going to be? We're, uh, it's sold out. I am told we are through Bryn Mawr Theater, uh, doing a sports movie night. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Um, or Bryn Mawr Film Institute, excuse me, Bryn Mawr Film Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are showing clips of 10, I think, 10 different great sports movie moments and talking about each of those movies, kind of off of the book that he and I wrote all those years ago. Are any of those sports movies, I forget in your sports movie book, you included Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not one of the ones we're showing, okay. but yeah, we put it in there. Yeah, that's um, that's a movie that I've mentioned to my sons that I would like to sit down and watch. Oh, it's with a them. great movie it's to great. watch with a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Either your sons play chess. M- both of them do. Oh, then definitely yeah. you should see it. Yeah, that's it's just great. Been been, uh, been meaning to do it and just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, we had movies about that. We had movies about dog shows. We and we figured anything they show on ESPN, we would we would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, I will just use that moment to say that Ray, not Ray, excuse me. Although Ray will be there too, as will you. June the 8th at um, Conchhock and Brewing Company, uh, Publish Kitchen and Tap in uh, Bridgeport. We are doing the release party for the Fransky and L.A. Golden, uh, excuse me, Fransky and L.A. Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale mm. um, to benefit the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. And we got all kinds of fun events going on that night. I'll talk about it more as it comes. But mark. June the 8th on your calendar to come out to Bridgeport. What do you got going on the rest of your day today? I believe most of my day today, I got to catch up on all the various things I'm doing, including putting that event together. And then uh, I think I'm due for like a big crash. (laughs) You are jet lagged. I'm on Paris time and it's, you know, seven o'clock at night there. And I think in about five, six hours I'll be doing it. But you know what? I'm going to see my dad tonight. Oh, that's great. I haven't seen my dad in in, uh, whatever, a week and a half. Awesome. Yeah. My wife and I are going to be running errands this afternoon. We are going to be making a stop at uh, Warwick Brewing up in uh, Jamison, Oh, nice. Yeah, good place. Um, and then she's going out to dinner with friends. Well, next time I see you will be, what, Friday night we're going out to dinner? Yeah. We're going to uh, Bridget's and Ambler. Sweet. Yeah. Should I'm be ready. great. All right. One of my favorite spots. Um, Dan Wilson, 
What did we forget to talk about today? There was so much, we had to have left something out. Yeah, so there were a number of things. Number one, and I'll, I'll go, I have a few things here, so I'll run through them quickly. A little game seven by the numbers here for you. Uh, Philadelphia, the history of Philadelphia, uh, tomorrow will be the 35th game seven that the city ever plays. That includes a few from the Warriors and the Athletics. 15 and 19 all time, uh, most recently Sixers losing to the Hawks a couple of years ago. The Sixers all time are five and nine. They are two and four all time in game sevens against the Celtics. Tomorrow will be their seventh game seven against that franchise. And Doc Rivers, six and nine all time in game sevens, has never won one on the road. What are the Phillies in game sevens? Oh and oh, they've never played one. It's not amazing. That's crazy. In their history, the Phillies have never played a postseason game seven. Wow. The- was the uh, 2001 Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks the last time the yes. Sixers won a Game Seven? The last time they won one, yes. Wow. They've most recently the most recent Game Sevens they lost for the Hawks, the Raptors, and then they lost that 2012 right. series to the Celtics too. Yep. Okay. So those are all Game Sevens. Uh, last night in sports, we were talking so much about kind of the Sixers series. Uh, we got to the injury that happened to JT Realmuto, but Bryce Harper hit his 300th double. I could not believe they didn't stop the game, just like they did for Gene Segura. <laughs> um, a couple of former Philly athletes led South Florida teams to the conference finals. Not only Jimmy Butler, but Sergey Bobrovsky did as well. Uh, he is the goalie for the Florida He's Panthers. still playing, huh? And playing well. Gosh, they that, that was... They could have had a goaltender for a generation. They really could have, yep. Yep, yep. And, Glenn, I know you love all of the uh, teams left in hockey, Carolina, Florida, Hate Dallas, Vegas. I, I, listen, when I'm king of the world, hockey will not be allowed in cities where it doesn't snow, although that would be us now. But nonetheless, hockey cannot be south of the Mason-Dixon line. It, it's insane. Give me the, what cities are left. Well, among them are Carolina, Florida is going to be the Eastern Conference Finals. You have Dallas and Vegas, oh, both a win away from God the Western Almighty. Conference Finals. Uh, Edmonton, st- I'm rooting for Edmonton. And by the way, what a week for Josh Harris, who had the Devils bounced on the same night the Sixers blew game six, and then the next day turns around and closes the sale on the Commanders. That's a, that's a full week. I mean, that, right that's there. a full 24 hours. He did wow. it in one day. You know, I know how you feel about Josh Harris, Glenn. Oh, yes. The Commanders are actually going to be a legitimate NFL franchise I know. now. It's, and, a, it's the best news that happened in Washington football in a long time. Oh, I mean, you, you follow media there, politicians. They are over the moon about the fact that Daniel Snyder is no longer going to own oh, well, they can, Washington. They can enjoy Josh Harris. And my last question for Glenn really quick. So you mentioned that the bathroom is not ideal in France. Oh, no. Did you try and pull a George Costanza and not pee the entire trip? <laughs> I was there for nine days. So. Well, he was in India for what? That I guess the full weekend for the wedding. I, I will say our hotel was perfectly fine. Oh, so there you go. Okay. I tried to make, but but restaurants, man, not museums. Mm-hmm. Like you go to like major museums, right? The Dorsey yeah. Museum is this beautiful mm-hmm. museum that has this these greatest impressionist works in history, and then you walk into the bathroom, and it's like, you know. They built this thing in 1830 and haven't cleaned it since. Well, maybe you just accidentally walked into an exhibit. It's possible. (laughs) And an unrelated question for you, because we spent time talking about the Eagles playing on Christmas against the Giants. I'll be working as part of the Eagles Radio Network. You'll, of course, be hosting the pregame show. Will you have Chinese food up on stage with you, or what's your move that day? It is Christmas Day. I am Jewish. As am I, yes. Yes, I know. I think that is required. I will. So that's. I think by law, actually. The problem is, it it also happens to be my my wife's birthday. That's right. Yes. Right. We'll be missing that. Do do you bring out the the full duck, like at the end of a Christmas story? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love that movie. It's it's smiling at me. (laughs) 
So, Dan Wilson, thank you very much. Thank you to Keith Jones and Keith Pompey for joining us. Thank you to my partner, Glenn Macnow. I'll be back tomorrow morning He with will Jody be back Mack. tomorrow with Jody McDonald. I will be on a plane to Boston for Game 7 of Sixers Celtics. Have an, have an easy flight, and I'm hoping uh, for everybody a festive one. Ah, I hope well, so, right, too. Right home. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you later. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.